I'm Bedroth. And I'm the Dyad. I'm a lawyer. And I'm not. And you're joining us in The, the Movie, Movie Bar. One of these days I'm going to time it right. I, I, I'm never quite <laughs> on, on the message there. <laughs> that is all right. That's all right. Um, well, yeah, so we are back for for another episode. I don't know exactly when this one is going to drop because at time of recording, I still have not finished editing the uh, And Justice for All episode. So it, it may be a little while. This is uh, definitely going to be the late September, um, late September podcast. But, man, uh, we had a fun movie this time, didn't we, Dyad? Uh, f- fun is definitely one of the words that you could use to describe the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is uh, this episode is a first in a lot of a lot of ways. This is our first foreign film that we have discussed on the podcast. It is the first film that is based on another medium, in this case, video games. And this is also the first time that we have had a guest on the show. We have brought on an expert witness who has got his own podcast where he talks all the time. Well, he's got several podcasts, actually, but the one that I'm talking about right now is called Multimedia Failure, where he talks about uh, video game movies with a couple of his friends. I'm going to stop talking and introduce him now, uh, Jason Ariola of Multimedia Failure and Rock Out With Your Card Out and a bunch of other stuff. Welcome to the show, man. Thanks, Bedroth. I'm uh, I'm glad you guys invited me. It was nice uh, to get an invite to talk about something that isn't an awful video game movie for a change. (laughs) Yeah, when we first... uh, I don't remember even how we got on the subject. Um, I think somebody... A a few people, actually. Daya, didn't uh, several people recommend us at some point to watch uh, the Phoenix Wright movie? I think so, yeah. I think think maybe on the Discord server someone had mentioned that as well. Yeah, I mean, we run in video game music circles, uh, all three of us, actually, so uh, that's not not unusual. And I thought of you, Jason, <laughs> the fact that you you ha- you did this. And did I come to you and ask if you guys had already done Ace Attorney? I believe or- you had, yeah, or if we were getting okay. to it. Yeah, because I think I, my memory is a little fuzzy because I've been in the long process of moving. We're moving. We're not moving. We're moving now. We're not moving now. Hold on, hold on, <laughs> hold on. For the last few months, so my uh, – yeah, my – sense of time's a little off at the moment, but yeah, you, you had asked me and I said, we hadn't gotten there yet. And we decided like, Hey, this would be a good crossover. Yeah. Yeah. We had been talking for a little while about possibly doing a crossover of, uh, rock out with your card out, which is a video game music podcast and my very good music podcast, which, uh, fairly soon is actually be, be going to be going away from full time, uh, episodes. I'm not going to be recording regularly anymore. Uh, actually haven't been for a while, but I'm officially ending the regular run of the show here in a little bit and kind of focusing on my, um, other podcast, BG Mania, where I'm the co-host and I don't have to do any editing, and it's much much easier. <laughs> but yeah, man, uh, you've uh, you've been going through a lot of stuff. You had a move, you had um, uh, vacation, which is better, <laughs> and uh, yes. you came back from vacation and um, uh, went went down the roller coaster again. Uh, both of you have actually been uh, dealing with COVID. Fortunately, as as I can hear, uh, you both seem to be uh, on the road to recovery, at least. Yeah, I've been moving my. F- yeah, I got the. Uh- Go ahead. Go ahead, Dad. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you know what? Uh, you're, you're, you're the host. You go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> no, I'm just, just going to say something stupid. I've been moving my face away from the microphone to cough because I'm a professional. 
and I was just going to say something is dumber, and I have the cruise COVID, or had the cruise COVID, so, and I have been uh, muting myself as I clear my throat as my uh, lung tries to gurgle as I'm talking, which is always fun. Well, if a couple of uh, sniffs or gurgles or coughs or whatever sneak into y'all's audio, don't worry about it. I edited a podcast with a teenager for two years, so I'm used to uh, <laughs> trying to pinpoint random noises and pull them out as best I can. So no worries. But but yeah, with three voices on the episode, I have a feeling we might run a little bit long, and we've already been running long. But I feel like the show's getting longer every episode. So let's go ahead and get into it. Uh, so the movie that we are discussing... As I have already alluded to, in English, it is uh, Ace Attorney. In Japanese, I'm going to butcher this, but I believe this would be pronounced Gyakuten Saiban, which literally translates Turnabout Trial. And this is based on the uh, Ace Attorney video game series. More specifically, uh, this would be based on the first game in the series, Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney. Is that right, Jason? Correct, yes. Yeah, yeah there's okay. uh, six trials, I believe, in that one, and this is based on sort of the first five. Okay. Okay, cool. Objection! 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 Take that! This is uh, a 2012 Japanese legal comedy drama film. Uh, directed by Takashi Miike, I believe is how you would say that, uh, based on uh, games by Capcom. And we'll be talking a little bit as we go about the, the stars of the film. Uh, most of them are probably not going to be very well known to, uh, to many people here in the States. I, I wasn't familiar with any of them before this movie. But uh, Phoenix Wrights, the title character, is played by uh, Hiroki Narimiya. He is a rookie defense attorney. Uh, taking on a series of court cases, culminating in one that pits him against Manfred von Karma, uh, who is played uh, pretty well, actually. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll talk about that. Manfred von Karma, played by Ryo Ishibashi. And, uh, yeah, uh, oh, uh, who ha uh, he is a prosecutor, a famed prosecutor, who has remained undefeated throughout his 40-year career. Uh, there are lots of twists and turns, and, th and this is actually, I guess, sort of a murder case wrapped up in a murder case, so it's also got some of that murder mystery stuff going on. It's a Matryoshka um, doll of yeah. murder. <laughs> Matryoshka of murder. That, that's a, I'm really surprised that's not the title of something out there. I mean, it probably is. <laughs> but Yeah. As I mentioned, Jason is our first expert witness. Uh, Jason, we brought you on because uh, you are not only, of course, very familiar with uh, talking about movies based on video games, but oh you have played <laughs> several games in this series. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? So tell us, what are your credentials? How do you qualify as an expert witness in this case? Yeah, you gotta voir dire the witness. Well, actually, the um, the very first time I ever saw Phoenix Wright was my brother had came out to visit and he showed me this new DS because I had sort of fallen off video games a little bit and showed me Phoenix Wright and he's kind of showing me through it. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. And he's like, oh, no, hold on. Check this out, Jason. And he presses and holds the Y button and yells objection. And then hear Phoenix yell objection. Objection. And I was like, oh, my <laughs> God, are you serious? <laughs> And I saw that I was like I have to have a DS and I have to have this game. So the that and uh, the um, let's say um, 
almost prerequisite uh, Nintendogs was uh, the um, the were, they were the two first games I got for the um, DS. After that, Phoenix Wright sort of just became uh, just a thing I grabbed every single time one came out. I have all of them outside of Miles Edgeworth Investigations Two, which was never translated, well, never officially translated. But I I have all the other ones. I've only played up through um, the original trilogy. Um, Apollo Justice, which is the sequel where um, Phoenix Wright has a fall from grace and yada, yada, yada. And then the Miles Edgeworth Investigations, which plays a little bit sort of like um, sort of in the same vein, but then also plays as uh, like an adventure game, sort of like a point and click adventure game. Gotcha. That's interesting. I didn't know that. Have you uh, so you haven't played any of these either, Dyad? I've played the first, I want to say two, but um, okay, you know, it's been a long time since they came out so i don't really remember them very well and i'm not sure if i actually completed them but i do remember playing them in a bit how the games work and i like them do you do you remember the girl with the whip by chance no i don't no okay because that was i believe in the second game and that is actually um von karma's daughter that comes in and uh, does not (laughs) like phoenix for obvious reasons (laughs) so Ah, interesting okay Okay, well, and my experience with this series is limited to I played a demo of one of the games. I have no idea which one at one point. Um, (laughs) And then I have played a few different tracks from Ace Attorney games on my show. And uh, for those, I I like to know a little bit about what I'm talking about and how each track sort of fits into the game that it came from. So I looked up a little bit about things here and there. So I knew these characters. I knew... For example, that uh, um, Maya Faye is um, a friend and sometime a helper of Phoenix Wright's. I knew that Miles Edgeworth was a prosecuting attorney who was a rival of Phoenix's. And that's about it as far as the characters in this movie. So uh, I... That's that's kind of where I am. I am uh, for anybody who is checking in for the first time on the episode. Usually here on the movie bar, uh, the dyad and I talk about a movie. Uh, the dyad who is a lawyer from the perspective of a legal expert who can sort of comment on how well the movies that we're discussing reflect the legal field, and then me just as sort of a regular Joe Schmo who is talking about the movie as a guy who watched the movie (laughs) and sometimes can uh, uh, by accident say something that sounds intelligent about things. So (laughs) that is, uh, (laughs) that's our usual shtick. I've made a whole podcasting career on that. (laughs) So (laughs) That's that's right, man. Fake it till you make it. Um, And as I mentioned, we brought Jason in as an expert witness. So as we go through the plot of the film, uh, I'm going to ask the guys to feel free to interject on uh, on anything that they thought sort of was is pertinent to discuss from their own perspectives and then at the end we'll give our our verdict uh, me just as far as how well how successful the film was as as a film uh, from for me as the audience and then the dyad from uh, as to far as a guilty or not guilty of um, misrepresenting the legal field. And then uh, in this, in this case, Jason is going to weigh in on how well he thought the movie uh, represented the game. So I guess we can go ahead and get into it. Oh, one more thing I want to mention. Usually with the episode I am going to, or I 
include audio clips of the films. I will not be doing that this time. Uh, this film is <laughs> yep. in Japanese. Uh, we watched it with subtitles. I don't think that a dub actually exists of this movie. Uh, de- definitely not in full. Um, so it probably wouldn't mean very much to most of our audience, uh, who <laughs> I'm pretty sure is entirely English speaking, if I just play you know random clips in Japanese because subtitles don't work very well in an audio medium. Agreed. Yeah, yeah, I've tried it before, and it's very awkward. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, this uh, first block of the show has really been filled up with my voice. So, um, Jason, why don't you uh, kind of get us into the uh, basic situation of this movie? What's what's going on here at the beginning? Well, when it starts, we get to see Phoenix Wright, um, who his uh, actual Japanese or his Japanese name is actually uh, Ryuchi Naruhodo, which Naruhodo kind of translates into um, I see or I understand. So the as you might have guessed from the if you've watched this, I, and I hope you have because it's a not delightful little movie, but there's a lot of like really punny, heavy names with a lot of this. And <laughs> it's yeah. it's prevalent in the Japanese version, too. It's a, you know, with the localization, they had to make it work for an American audience. So, but I, I yeah, I kind of like the Naruhobo thing. Like, I just, the first time I'd heard that, I was like, oh, that's an interesting little tidbit. So, thought I'd share that I, before I, I say, get, yeah, get on here. Um, not going to tip my hand too much, but this is a fun little film. Um, I, it's, it's enjoyable to watch. Uh, I like to use my rating to score uh, like I think how quote unquote good the movie is but a, a bad movie can be enjoyable so that's uh, not to say this is good or bad because that's for the end of the show but I did enjoy watching this movie it was fun so same <laughs> I would like to say all video game movies are bad I haven't seen a good one yet it's just a matter of like how uh, how, how much suffering uh, do they actually cause me in the long run is, is sort of the uh, basis for my show so <laughs> but anyway um, so um, you get to see Phoenix kind of starting off as a as a pro- or as, a, as an attorney, and then you see how far in advance uh, Miles Edgeworth is in his career as a prosecutor, and he's helping his best friend Larry Butts, and who's um, got an interesting look about him, we'll say, with a uh, spiky blonde. Uh, I, I don't even know what that is. Is it a, is it a mohawk? Is it a, a spike thing? What the what the deal is well, with that? I, I think I'm going to coin the phrase the, a spike hawk. It's a spike hawk. Spike hawk. Okay. Okay. I like the spike hawk. Yeah, because I've heard I've heard a faux hawk or pomahawk. I like the spike hawk. Okay, let's do that. Here so he's go. got a, he's got a spike hawk and some um, let's say choice facial hair as well, and <laughs> <laughs> um, gets him off the hook, and you get to see just sort of like the basis of how the court system in this world works, or maybe doesn't work necessarily as well. And <laughs> you get a little bit of an implication as like, hey, there's some weird stuff going on here, and maybe maybe some of the prosecution isn't, uh, let's say doing things for the right reasons or maybe even doing things uh, that are a little under the bar if you will so you mentioned the weird legal system and i think this is probably like a good place for me to jump in with i guess first like a a big old disclaimer that the (laughs) japanese legal system is very very different than the american system so for the most part during this movie i'm going to like kind of approach it if it were here but they are so different that a lot of this stuff doesn't exactly translate over but just to give like a very very basic crash course in japan they have what's called a saiban system and um, in the movie there are lots of references to bench trials which i assume is just the way they translated 
um, Saiban, and in America, a bench trial is um, a trial without a jury. It's the judge is the fact finder, and um, basically they do everything. And the Saiban system in Japan is actually relatively new. It was introduced in 2009. I guess it's kind of had been in existence, but it was sort of formalized in 2009. And it's what's called a quasi-jury or a mixed court system. So for uh, major crimes, the guilt of the defendant is, and the sentence is determined by a panel of judges who are professional judges and a panel of lay judges. So like just similar to what a jury would be, but they kind of decide together with these judges and the amount of judges and lay people depends on basically how serious the crime is and if it is contested or just like if they admit guilt or something. So in this movie, it's mostly portrayed as like a single judge sort of doing everything, which as far as I can tell is not exactly how it worked. There would be multiple, but um, the idea is kind of the same, that the judge is sort of the one who is doing it all. He's sort of both, I guess, you know, judge, jury, and executioner in Japan. That's a, ask, ask real fast there, Diane. Do you mean that there's multiple judges in, um, like, on the trial itself, or there's just multiple judges, like, period? Like, okay, you have your courtroom, you have your courtroom, you have your courtroom. So my understanding is that there is a panel of judges per case. So you would okay. have, instead of Almost having like a, a jury of, like, 12 people, you would have three judges and six uh, I can't remember what the term for the lay judges is, but so it would be like, you know, nine people okay. handling your case, but wow. Yeah. Good question. Huh. Okay. Um, what did you think, Diad, of the, the setup of the courtroom here where in, <clears throat> in the American legal system, we're used to sort of the, the two tables or desks um, are uh, next to each other side by side and they mm-hmm. face the judge's bench and then usually the jury is off to one side if there is a jury in the trial. This setup is very different. Why don't you describe that for us a little bit and um, just kind of what did you think of this? <laughs> it reminded me of the trial scene in Chrono Trigger, the video game. And I wonder if that's because huh. this is actually how courtrooms are set up in Japan and you know I should have looked up but I, I just didn't think to to see if that was actually how they function or not but it's sort of like mm-hmm. in the movie it's depicted as basically this big almost like a tower that the judge is sitting in like super high up which is sort of how we do it yeah. in America the judge is in a you know kind of like a raised desk type thing but this was to right. the extreme in the movie. Mm-hmm. And then... Literally passing judgment down from on high. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and the parties are sort of facing each other, kind of angled towards the judge. So it's really like, uh, I don't know, much more adversarial. Whereas, as you mentioned, Bedroth, the American system is you're facing the judge because you're like presenting your arguments to the jury and the judge. And you're not, you're not really you don't really address the other party because you're just presenting your case. You're not attacking them or dealing with them. Whereas here they were kind of objecting and they, the the weird thing in this movie is I don't know if this is how it is in Japan, but they use objections to argue. Like they would say, 
objection and then they would dispute the facts or whatever and that's mm-hmm. not how the american system works if you object um you should just use a single word that describes the objection for uh for instance hearsay is one that probably most people are familiar with whether or not they know what it means they've heard like objection hearsay and actually if you continue speaking it's called a speaking objection which is improper so you can't say like objection that guy said something that he shouldn't have and whatever because you can sort of yeah lead the witness or tip your hand or get improper argument in front of the jury you can get the jury to hear something just to like help your case but so versus in this movie they would object and then have these big long arguments or try and introduce evidence (laughs) or whatever so i have no idea if that's how it works but certainly not here and for a little bit of context, the game came out originally in 2001. So before the the Cybon system that, that you're talking about. Um, so I'm not sure how this compares to uh, to older uh, Japanese courtrooms, but uh, or courtroom manner. Uh, one other thing I want to mention. So you mentioned that the judge is like on one end, up on his high bench. The uh, the parties, the uh, attorneys, are. Um, opposite each other on uh, different sides of the room uh, perpendicular to the judge and then the defendants and witnesses the the um you know the lay people who come up to speak in the trial uh the defendant is actually in like a desk kind of or a table all by himself over in this corner but then anybody who is speaking before the court comes up onto this little semicircular um, platform, and it's just kind of out there in the open, opposite the judge, between the two attorneys, um, and just... It's like a lectern. That's where they... Yeah, like a lectern. It's it's a really interesting system. And then the... Uh, uh, what do you call... Uh, not Like the audience in the courtroom? The gallery? The gallery, yeah. So the gallery is behind the uh, the witness stand. I think you could very like kind of easily describe it as like a baseball setup, and then the um, the actual uh, person on trial, the defendant, is sort of like an on deck, basically off to the side. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. There you go. Thank you. I'm. I'm this is why we uh, we we bring you on the show. <laughs> no, I, don't, I don't know about that, but thank you. <laughs> Expert witness pulling pulling weight already. <laughs> so our basic situation here in the movie is, um, as as Jason mentioned, we start off with sort of an amuse-bouche of uh, Phoenix getting his friend Larry Butts acquitted uh, from a false charge of murder um, with the assistance, sort of last-minute save, from Phoenix's mentor, who is a veteran attorney, uh, whose name is Mia Fey. Um and as uh, as thanks for basically winning the case for Phoenix, which there's some back and forth banter there where Phoenix is like, well, I'm the attorney. Why are you thanking her? But um, uh, Larry gives Mia a statue of the thinker that he has made. It's actually a clock um, that uh, that talks. There's some kind of gimmick with it that that particular aspect of the clock is not really important, although the clock itself does come in a little bit later. Um, so. Larry gives Mia this statue of the thinker uh, as thanks for helping Phoenix get him acquitted. Um, And then uh, we move on from there. Uh, Anything so far as far as uh, is that like the initial sort of I imagined as I was going through this movie, I sort of imagined, well, if this were a video game, what would this be like? Um, Is the is the butts trial 
sort of your your practice round in the first game, Jason? Yeah, it's it's sort of your safety net where you can't really. I mean, you can technically fail it, but there's enough of a safety net with a uh, you know me out there kind of like nudging you along the correct direction and a lot of this stuff isn't too complicated as far as like okay well here's where you present this piece of evidence in this line of dialogue and it's this is that should get off too 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 much off track here but the um the clock actually saying what time it was does play a pretty substantial role in the first case as you sort of like briefly touched upon there in that or you know in that sequence but it's Mm -hmm. you know it that one takes like I think like maybe an hour, maybe a couple of hours, depending on how much you're kind of like struggling with it to get through. So it does get drawn out versus the let's say what is it the 45 seconds the movie gives it. <laughs> so <laughs> okay, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, um, and tutorial. That's the word I was thinking of. So yeah, so the Larry Bus trial is sort of the tutorial, uh, I guess, in the game, and mm-hmm. here it's the, the opening situation that kind of introduces us to to some of the players. There actually is a scene before this, though. That's a little bit. I, I came into it. It was it was really weird. Uh, there's this, this woman who appears to be having some sort of um, like vision or out of body experience, and she visualizes somebody holding up a gun and shooting and then she you see her in this vision she sees somebody get shot in the back and then she says uh the one who shot me is and i'm blanking on his name um um um, yanni yanni the one who shot me is yanni yanni yogi and that's that's sort of the opening scene and of course Nobody has any idea. If you haven't played the game, nobody has any idea what's going on. Um, but that does you know come in. I played in. the game and I wasn't really sure what the hell was going on with that scene either. It was a little uh, out of left field, especially the uh, um, okay. Apparently that he was going to hell because of the nuclear fire and the ex- uh, with the you know oh, the yeah, flying yeah. fortress going above too. I was like, what? <laughs> this is some weird imagery for a okay whatever. Yeah. It's like a Nine Inch Nails so, music video going on in the start of the movie. <laughs> this is something that I wish I could grow nice. my hair out still and like have it like fall over one of my eyes and just be like, oh, you don't understand how deep this is. <laughs> Man. So I'm guessing that this scene is not in the game. No. It's, okay. you know, there's there's an allusion to the phase being, or um, the mother, I forget what her name is, but um, the phase mother being used in court cases as sort of like the... Um, the spirit uh, reader, diviner, however, whatever, like the psychic, if you will, um, using that in court cases, which I know there's some, if I'm, if Diad, you'll correct me if I'm wrong here, but I believe there is some precedence for that in, in our court system that has uh, kind of since gone out of favor for obvious reasons, I suppose. <laughs> Calling in a medium as a, as a witness and channeling yes, the, yeah. the, I, I am certain that that has been attempted in the court system, but I would be shocked if it was allowed there was um there was a doc i was watching a while ago and they did bring in uh, it was like one of one kid like disappeared and Uh he was you know the the medium can be like oh i'm this kid and if you look here you can find my body like in the court system and i'm like what why is this on trial (laughs) i could could definitely see um someone doing that for the investigation but i'm surprised if it like someone got called to the witness stand it just seems like that would be shot down but you know i mean also it depends on when when it happened because i think this was in the 70s yeah like So. so the way you vet an expert witness has evolved over time and there's kind of like 
accepted standards for when because if you think about something more concrete like dna evidence when it in the 90s when it was like becoming used more often was not accepted at first because it was thought to be this unproven thing and it took a long time for like the public to come around and trust it and so you had to you kind of develop um a system for expert witnesses and and uh that kind of like thing so like we've talked about in a previous episode uh lie detector tests and how they're not admissible in most places and this would be kind of like a similar a little bit more outrageous than that but like you know getting a psychic (laughs) or a medium you'd need to have some kind of like evidence that this is a fact-based thing and there's science behind it but you know before those systems were kind of solidified yeah i could i could see people trying it i just would be surprised if someone was actually on the stand but you never know it's like yeah i've got a crystal ball that's pretty solid right Um, (laughs) yeah so uh the the woman from the introductory scene um as jason mentioned this is uh this is the mother Faye. her name is misty Faye. Uh, she is the uh the mother of phoenix's mentor mia and also of, of maya who comes in a little bit later and come to find out this next scene is mia in sort of this this dark underground place i guess it was is this like an evidence room that she went to or this kind of varies a little wildly from the games here as far as like this, this sort <laughs> of set of circumstances but i think it was intentionally vague in the beginning of the movie you're not supposed to know where she is she goes somewhere shady and she gets this bag uh with um uh, it's, it's an evidence bag. It has a, a bullet in it and then a little note kind of describing what's going on. Um, it's all in Japanese. So it, and some some of what was written down was subbed and some of it was not. And so you can't always tell. But she grabs this bag, has a bullet in it. And then she as she's leaving, this shady looking dude kind of comes up behind her. And uh, he's just sort of teased in this scene. But then she goes back to her apartment and calls Phoenix. And so he's coming over. To, uh, to talk to her, I'm assuming, about what she found. And when he gets there, he finds her lying on the ground, blood everywhere, um, and she has evidently been bludgeoned with the statue of the thinker. And at first, it looks like nobody's there. Um, Phoenix, just rookie mistake, stupidly, picks up the statue and is just looking at it in, in horror and confusion. And then he sees this other woman across the room. This turns out to be Maya. And um, so, Jason, you mentioned this diverges fairly wildly from from the games. Uh, what kind of gets us to this this point? The, the games mostly are... Well, you know what? This is actually a pretty good time. Talk a little bit about how phoenix wright at least the first series uh plays as you're as you're going through it because i kind of thought it was just going from case to case but um there are apparently also uh levels or areas where you're actually like looking for evidence um talking to people interviewing potential uh witnesses um so what what all kinds of things are you doing in the game so the main thing, of course, happens in the courtroom. That's where all the drama happens and the story kind of unfurls itself a little bit more. But in between those um, sequences, um, and this is something we haven't gotten to in the movie, but like the court system in this uh, thing, you basically have three days to get through a trial and that's the end of it. And then ah, I mean, if yes. you haven't presented anything as far as uh, proving that your client is not guilty, then just tough shit, you're guilty effectively. I, I think this is one of those things where you're basically guilty until proven innocent. <laughs> 
So I, yeah, I, it seems like it. Either in the movie, I kind of got the the feeling that the judge would make his determination at the end of the three days, regardless of whether you felt like you were done presenting your case. And he just kind of makes his decision based on what everybody has said so far. And if you didn't get to say everything you wanted, well, tough. You didn't use your time. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. So um, in between those days in in, um, the courtroom sequences, you go out to areas where you investigate, you look for clues, you talk to witnesses, and you get their statements and maybe use them as a witness in the actual courtroom and that's sort of like the setup for that. Now, as far as like like the wild divergence, it's just more a matter of Mia's, I guess, route to being killed is just doesn't really happen in the same way. She is killed in her office in the game, but it's not really like there's no like crazy like scene where she's being chased or like looking around or, you know, being watched or anything like that. So you don't really get much of that. It's just this sort of um, in a thing that tries to surmise like 20 plus hours worth of gameplay into a two hour and 15 long 15 minute long movie it just seemed like a little bit of fodder that i'm like i don't know what this needed to be here (laughs) so it's like they added material in that wasn't in the game um i don't know uh, maybe as somebody who hadn't played the games i felt like it was kind of decent connective tissue to where like how how Phoenix finds Maya. Uh, it builds us up a little bit, like our relationship with Mia and makes us care about her a little bit more uh, because we're kind of with her for a couple of scenes. Um, but uh, I can definitely see like if you're already having to pack, like you said, that much into a shorter time frame, why are you inventing new material to put in and leaving <laughs> other stuff out? Yeah, I can, yeah. I can definitely see that perspective as well. Yeah. Um, we find out later on why Maya's there, but uh, for now, um, we're introduced to yet another new character who I really liked a lot, uh, Detective Dick Gumshoe, which <laughs> you talked about so the puns, is, man. Yeah, his name what is a name. Detective, Detective, Detective. So. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And he comes in and uh, Phoenix is, like looks at him and then looks at the, at the statue. And I also have to say that uh, Ace Attorney is a very Japanese game. Um, kind of in the vein of things like uh, like Persona. It was one of those things that some people, I think, were surprised was actually localized to the States, also because there's so, so much uh, words, so many words. Yeah, um, a whole but, lot of text in those. <laughs> well, and, and you can tell it was done with a lot of attention and a lot of love, because like you said, the puns in Japanese are translated over into puns in, in English. Um you know, Phoenix Wright, a very, very heroic kind of name. Uh, the Fays, uh, being a family of, of mystics, um, you know, where Fay is like the the, um, uh, the the alternate like mystic reality of like where where fairies come from and a land of fantasy that's like adjacent to our world. That that even extends to minor characters because like mm-hmm. later in the yeah. movie we meet a parrot named Polly, which is like a, in a sort of the iconic. Uh, parrot name in English, but that's yeah. not the character's <laughs> name in Japanese. It's I can't remember. It's a, a woman's name in, in Japanese. But yeah, sorry, mm-hmm. sorry to step on you there. Yeah, no, I, I, I thought that was I, I thought that was a really nice touch. But um, Detective Gumshoe comes in, and uh, oh, what I was going to say, very Japanese movie, and so there are a lot of 
in, in anime, for anybody who has watched it, uh, there are a lot of overly exaggerated facial expressions. You'll cut over to somebody and they'll have like completely white eyes and their mouth will be just like um, super wide uh, open. You'll, they'll have a huge sweat drop by their forehead or maybe a little crisscross that shows like a vein popping out. Um, mm-hmm. For anybody who hasn't seen anime, you just have to look up some pictures, I guess. But be, be careful looking up anime on Google. But um, uh, yeah. for anybody safe who has on, seen guys. it. Safe search on. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. For anybody who has seen it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I thought they did a really fun job of live actors doing the best that they could to replicate that in some of these scenes, especially Phoenix's facial expressions in some places. Um, Maya's just over the top sort of, I don't know if I'd say kawaii because I'm really bad at weeb language, but uh, really (laughs) exaggerated um, sort of Japanese femininity uh, and um, that I'm describing that poorly so one of you guys can cut it in a second but especially in the character of um, Larry Butts he is the most anime guy I have seen in a live action movie <laughs> the, mm-hmm. the, the anime comic relief character that, that is Larry they did a great job with that um, so we were talking about their hair um, earlier and the hairstyles yes. throughout the movie are I mean like if you were not aware that this came from a game that was the art styles like animated and you just saw this movie you'd be like what is going on with all these people's yes. hair but yeah, it, they're yeah. designed to look like the drawings <laughs> it's like Hunger Games stuff <laughs> yeah so they're these extremely exaggerated goofy hairstyles that are you know pretty pretty well recreated with with actual human hair i was very astounded at how well they did with phoenix's hair i when i when i saw that this movie existed i had to look up a picture of it and i was like oh my god they actually did phoenix's hair like as close to like i think as humanly possible as they could this is astounding yeah, yeah. Uh, phoenix and miles both i thought just really really impressive um so that's, I guess, one one positive point there. Uh, but basically, um, so Detective Gumshoe comes in and Phoenix is uh, thinking he's about to be arrested. And Detective's like, no, 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 it's not you. We have a witness. And he goes over and arrests Mia, or sorry, Maya. I'm totally going to do that. Maya, uh, because Mama she's Mia. the only other person there. And um, uh, somebody apparently reported that they saw... Um, Mia attacked by another woman, and so Maya is arrested and accused of Mia's murder. And that leads us into our next trial. Uh, somebody else start talking, because I'm doing my thing again. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, <clears throat> let me see. I, you know, if I had known you were going to throw to me, I would have uh, taken some better notes, or <laughs> by better, I mean any at all. But <laughs> That's all right. That's um, all right. <laughs> so, we kind of wing it here. Does this is this where it bounces to when we first meet Miles Edgeworth? We uh, was was Miles the attorney for the Butts trial, the prosecuting attorney? No, I don't, he was the no, prosecutor he for these. Um, he was the prosecutor for the Steel Samurai trial that was going on at the same time as the Larry Butts trial, which is. Um, it, again, again gotcha. this is sort of consolidating stuff for the game, but I think that's, if I'm remembering correctly, that's the second trial in the game, and that's where Phoenix um, faces up against Miles the first time. Okay. So they just sort of, like, nix that one all together, and through a very, um, let's say, uh, throwaway thing with the Steel Samurai being involved with the movie at all. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so the, the Steel Samurai is a, uh, a mascot that Larry uses to advertise his, his little shop of tchotchkes. So that's how they shoehorn the Steel Samurai in. But in that case, yes, Diane, I think that, uh, that Miles is the prosecuting attorney in Maya's trial. And that's where we meet him first in the movie. Yep. So I just wanted to point out something about uh, Miles. So you... When I guess like just from the start, you kind of the two trials where we first see Phoenix Wright and Miles Edgeworth, you get the juxtaposition of the different like courtrooms that they're in. Phoenix Wright is in this kind of rinky-dink. It looks like it's being held in I don't know a bingo a, hall a large or something. Closet, <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> and versus Miles is in the big fancy historic courthouse, and you kind made for you, TV. Exactly. <laughs> <clears throat> and you you get to see that Miles is depicted as this big shot rising star prosecutor, and then you you, you see him in the Steel Samurai case, which is obviously treated with more gravitas, like it's a bigger, more important case than you know little old Larry Butts. And um, yeah, I think it's actually I well I guess it's after the trial, but there's one thing that I wanted to point out that I I thought was a uh, uh, if not good like a, a a well stated interesting point he's talking to uh what is his name von 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 karma uh, his von karma yeah. thank von you karma. von karma so i i think it's actually the first time we see von karma is when edgeworth is talking to him and he's miles is saying yeah like i'm i'm very I want to have what you have you've you've not lost a single case in 40 years as a prosecutor which i just think that would not be possible to do that's just it's ridiculous well, this has come up a couple times i think also on the show like <clears throat> you know one side loses every case so if you lose a case it's not um unheard of or ridiculous but i really wanted to highlight his response which he said that that was just the result and not my goal and i thought that that was like a really appropriate thing for a prosecutor to say that it shouldn't be about winning or losing. He was just saying, basically, yeah, I never lose, but I'm not out to win. I'm out for kind of like out for justice, whether that remains. Yeah, but um, you know, von true, Karma but... really is uh, von Karma is presented really. Um, you you respect him at the beginning of the movie for how he talks to Edgeworth because he also tells Edgeworth, <clears throat> you know, it, it, it Edgeworth's style is. Is a bit underhanded, as Jason kind of kind of uh, alluded to. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he he skirts around the edge of of the law. Um, he he might do things correctly by the letter, but his spirit you get the sense is not in the right place. Uh, he um, really sort of undermines the system and works his way around it, cuts corners. And um, von Karma calls him out on that and says. You shouldn't just do anything you want in a courtroom. He says everything – what does he say? Evidence is everything? Is that how he puts it? Yes, yeah, something, something like that. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And in the games, so. there's um, – they don't touch on it in the movie, but in the game, there's a lot of allegations and rumors that uh, Edgeworth plants evidence, basically. Ah, okay. Okay. Hmm, yeah, they don't go that far in the movie, but um, – yeah, I think kind of just come mentioning up, come that, up to the line. they could have just, like, mentioned that, and that would have um, sort of, like, given you a good setup of, okay, well, here's where Edgeworth is as a person. Like, maybe he yeah. doesn't do this, but he's so 
bulldogish in his mannerisms that maybe he does do this because he pulls evidence out of nowhere that just magically kind of correlates with what needs to be um, what needs to be to get that guilty verdict. That would have been really and important he, to include. I feel like that really would have worked well with basically the whole second half of the movie. Nah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, well, you you get the sense that, that Edgeworth is out to get people in jail, like at any cost. Uh, he really wants to, to win these cases. But for him, it's, it's, it's really about putting these people away. You get a sense that he's it's personal for him in some way. At least I did when I was watching it. And... You find out a little later on why, uh, foreshadowing. But mm-hmm. basically, as we get into the trial with Maya, um, well, uh, you can talk a little about this when when we uh, when I'm done, Diad, about how how this plays out, and I guess how any of it, if, if you could correlate it to anything in our system. <laughs> I'm gonna leave that to you, but so um, I think that's a big if. <laughs> as I, as I'm, I already I'm mentioned, I'm no legal expert, um, but that's a big if. <laughs> as yeah. I already mentioned, uh, Dick Gumshoe says, you know, we have a witness who saw um, Mia Fey attacked by by a woman, and yeah, it's Japanese Howard Stern was the witness. <laughs> yeah, he's really channeling Howard Stern for sure. Um, the, the the guy's name is Red White, R E D D, and the last name White, which. Wow. Um, uh, but Red White is called up. He is a photojournalist, sort of a gossip columnist is how he's presented in the movie. Mm-hmm. And um, Edgeworth uh, is um, puts him on the stand, asks him some questions. And then during Phoenix's cross-examination, Edgeworth is like answering for the witness a couple of times and just really, really pushing, like giving him the, the stink eye and all this stuff. Like, like you say this. And then at one point the judge asks the witness a question and Edgeworth actually answers the judge for the witness. Yeah. And yeah. it's just, I, I, I thought you might have something to say about some of that, but um, when I'm Definitely. done, but so he, uh, he says that he saw Maya kill Mia and he brings up a couple of different specific examples like oh well I saw um, you know I saw this lamp I uh, you know I saw this uh, this lamp got knocked over that's why I looked out the window um, that's why I was looking into their apartment um, I saw this clock on on the desk and it's it was really cool Phoenix points out these really specific details as to basically why the witness has to be lying because mm-hmm. of how the office was laid out. How would you know this was a clock? He shows it to the judge and he's like, does this look like a clock to you? And the judge says, no, it looks just like a, like a statue of the thinker. And so he really kind of pokes holes in the witness's statement. And I remembered enough of how I'd heard the game described. Um, how do you win the trial, Jason? Like, how does it work for pointing out so that's these flaws pretty objecting that's pretty accurate right to it is as every as you cross-examine you get to poke holes in their thing so you get to like press them further on a certain set statement so they'll they'll get their um they'll give their testimony and then each thing is put up into the uh, the text box and you can press them on each text box get a little bit more information and then sometimes they'll be like oh well you didn't say that before okay let me go ahead and add that to my testimony and they change their testimony a little bit in that one spot that's where you um get your evidence and you also will like look for contradicting statements 
and start to argue stuff. So you look for the little like little holes that you poke and then like look in the a lot of time it has to do with the item description in your like in the evidence for the court case and mm-hmm. look and try to match them up with like, OK, well, this contradicts that. So and most of the time it's pretty accurate. There are occasions where it's a little um, little too vague. I remember getting stuck on one case or like one segment, like in the fourth or fifth case. And I just eventually had to go to game FAQs. Like, I have no idea what I'm doing wrong here. And because you can yeah. think the game, it's a, a little bit like, okay, I know what happened, <laughs> but you have to follow those steps to get to there. It, it's not a point A to point B. It is a point A and then one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, two, two point B to get there. You have to take those steps. There's no shortcutting it, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's sort yeah, of like eventually, a super yeah. advanced, um, uh, like hypercard stack like you have to go to the right you have to click in the yeah. things in the right order to get to the answer yeah yeah that's a good way of putting it too i don't know uh if, how much of your audience would know what a hypercard stack is at this point <laughs> <laughs> well i might be uh showing my age my, my very sp- <laughs> specific and particular range of ages that i could possibly be <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I guess I yep. am too because I, I know what the hell you were talking about. So. <laughs> yeah, you didn't, didn't right. even bat yeah, an yeah. eye. <laughs> I see you've yeah, also the three been of us to a middle like, school computer lab. <laughs> <laughs> the three of us awesome. are like right in that that window where we we know we'll just we'll, we'll, we'll keep that an inside joke. Anybody else? Kids, go look it up. <laughs> I was gonna say go to Wikipedia, um, kids. Yep. Um, but uh, another thing is, uh, isn't it also kind of based on sometimes you can tell whether. Uh, a witness is lying based on tells like on facial expressions or things like that. And you mm-hmm. have the opportunity to like call them out and uh, get them to, to admit doubt. something. <laughs> uh, you know, not really. There's okay. Uh, as you're going through the wit- or the witness will start to crack a little, basically as you start poking holes in them, okay. they'll start cracking a little bit and their appearance will get more and more disheveled and then they'll compose themselves again and they look fine again. But um, there's a part, I, God, I'm trying to remember which one it is, but like one of the, um, actually it might be in the first trial. I think the, the guy that ends up having murdered, uh, Larry Butts, girlfriend who I don't even know if they went over that. If I'm yeah, in the, in the movie, but, um, yeah, he ends up throwing, I, no, his, he gets so mad and he, up, and he throws his wig at uh, Phoenix Wright's face. So, <laughs> Okay, I think they, they do, do show the in, the, in the movie, yeah, the wig throwing thing. <laughs> or he rips his hair they off. They did at do least. the wig throwing. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that it was Butts' girlfriend. I don't think I either didn't or catch it. It was or his ex girlfriend. Yeah. Get that. Okay, okay, they, they might have said something like that. I think that the Butts trial got swept away in the maelstrom of everything to follow after I watched it. But, um, but yeah, the uh, the wig throwing thing happened, and I thought you see it here with Red White. Um, that's all kind of the whole point of bringing this up. The, the you see him get more and more disheveled as the trial goes on, and get really mm-hmm. nervous, and kind of you know as as Phoenix starts to uh, to just really dress him down. And what it, what it comes down to is uh, you. How does this one wrap up? Man, it's all running together now, and I just watched it this afternoon. That's sad. Um, uh, it, it, basically, how it ends, we kind of kind of jump ahead a little bit because we're not even halfway through the movie yet. Um, how it ends is uh, Phoenix is able to determine or to prove so that uh, the judge finds that Maya is, in fact, not guilty and that Red White's who turns out to be the creepy guy who we saw shadowing Mia in, in the shady place where she found a bag with a bullet in it, um, is, is guilty of murdering 
Mia Fey and is uh, is arrested. So that's how this one ends. And uh, I, I know this is not accurate, at least to uh, pro- at least not to American court and probably not to Japanese court. When Phoenix wins a trial, um, confetti <laughs> goes off everywhere. There's like a big um, <laughs> big pop in the ceiling. Yeah, a <laughs> big not guilty thing pops up. Oh no, up we and- have those. So I think one of my favorite little details from that um, Larry Butts trial is showing the uh, disparity between the two like big court cases is, you know, you, you get the confetti and the hologram that says not guilty and then in Larry Butts, he just has some woman with a bucket of confetti kind of like just nonchalant, only like throwing it like like it's like handing out an order at McDonald's. <laughs> right. Like, yeah, here's my yep, ten thousand. Throwing it done today, whatever. Here's your confetti. <laughs> when, nice, when we nice. saw it in because it, 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 that part is presented first, I think, unless I'm misremembering it. And I was like, why is she throwing this paper? And it wasn't until later when we see the big proper confetti that I'm like, oh, it was mm-hmm. the low budget <laughs> confetti from that case. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, unless you really know the uh, Phoenix right lore, I suppose that would that would not be something you would get initially on like watching. Like, what is she? Why is she throwing shredded paper at this guy? <laughs> yeah. So this first, this well, I guess not the first case, but this this case with Red White is when I was I was like the, my experience playing the game was sort of reawakened because this sort of game of cat and mouse with the witness, where Phoenix will say, "Oh, but." did you think about this? And then the witness will have to backtrack and clarify. And you kind of sort of keep shrinking the wiggle room and then the defendant is stuck in it. And then I was like, oh yeah, this is, I remember the game works like this. So I thought, mm-hmm. at least to me, as someone who hasn't played it in well, I, you know, 20 years or whatever, it was like, oh yeah, okay, this makes sense. This is how the game worked. I, this is bringing back those that experience in me. Um, so what did you think of the, I guess I could ask both of you, the way that uh, evidence is presented here is these huge 3D projectors <laughs> drop down from the ceiling and show these like holograms of, uh, of like pictures and documents. And what's really cool, and I know this is from the games, the first time you see it, Edgeworth reaches up his hand and snaps this like really super clear like Nintendo Switch Direct snap and the the big projector falls down and you see it for the first time um what did you guys think of that standard issue in america the giant robot screens that come down (laughs) from the ceiling and have holograms to display the evidence and (laughs) i mean (laughs) yeah it's uh well it's not real but it's cool i thought actually i thought it was a cool way of um portraying how the video game worked like you know that that doesn't happen anywhere but like oh yeah okay (laughs) so you're gonna make it like the video game so that's how you're gonna do it that's kind of cool it makes sense they (laughs) thought about it they thought about a lot of things like that in this movie i feel like yeah and i think it's a clever way of um the take that uh element of right when you cross-examine like you're figuratively throwing evidence in the um the witness's face and like in contradiction to their testimony so when gumshoe says something about, and then the autopsy report comes back and he says take that and he throws it at gumshoe and gumshoe like ducks like sort of like oh this <laughs> right. is like a perfect like this is i think as realistic as you can make that without them literally throwing evidence around the courtroom at each other <laughs> i actually one of my first notes in this was um it didn't take long for the screaming and yelling to start in this movie the american movies usually take hap they it sorry in the american movies that usually doesn't happen until the end 
<laughs> yeah, um, and of course, the big uh, thing with Phoenix is his him yelling objection, Jason, like you said when when mm-hmm. we first started out, um, and it was really cool that he got to do that a couple of times, and that's also you know the money shot at the end when they throw up the uh, the Phoenix Wright logo for for the first time, and. It's uh, it was really cool the way that you could like Tony Stark style grab and manipulate the screens and then throw them at somebody if you if you wanted to for some reason. It's it's interesting. <laughs> Just effect. How <laughs> in in the rest of the movie it's very very obviously like early twentieth century. It, 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 it could even early twenty first century. It could even be like like the nineties as far as how everything else looks. And then you get in here, and there's this hyper realist, hyper futuristic mm-hmm. <laughs> hologram um, evidence screens. I thought that was, and, and they they don't address it at all, which I thought was just hilarious. But yeah, um, so yeah, so Phoenix gets uh, Maya acquitted, and so actually, you know, what, sort I, of, let me stop you before we get too far. Oh, I do want ahead. to talk about a couple of the legal things because from this this case. Um, All right, now here we go. This is what I'm here for. I, I, I got to hear this because, <laughs> yeah, this, this, this is absurd <laughs> just from my perspective. So, I mean, I, I I made the joke earlier about them yelling, but just like this is, seems to be a, a standard lawyer legal movie thing where people just yell in court and nobody yells in court. I mean, I shouldn't say nobody, but you know, like you don't just have like a standard objection where you're you're yelling at the other person. And this is like them in a shouting match the the attorneys kind of shout at one another and uh you know that's that's just not how it works it's a it's kind of like somber and there's decorum and it's a, that doesn't happen like that but one of the one of the other things that um it, it kind of now that you say the thing about in the video game uh edgeworth has is rumored to have been planting evidence that makes sense because there's a autopsy report that is part of the evidence in Mia's case. And I think it has something to do with like the time of death or something. And and Phoenix is yes. died, like a critical died piece. Instantaneous. Yeah, right, died exactly. instantaneous first died within a few minutes. Yes. And so there and then and then uh, Miles is like, oh no, I've got this other second autopsy report. But <laughs> <laughs> and then Phoenix is like, I've never seen that before. You've never that I've this is the first time I've ever heard of this. You don't get to just introduce new evidence in the courtroom. You like there's no reason that Phoenix wouldn't be familiar with this report and and he even says, I've this is the first time I've seen it. So that's um yeah, something I mean, that would we never talked about happen. that all the way back in my cousin Vinny in episode one. <laughs> Right, exactly. Yeah, you both sides know the evidence that's coming in. You have a chance to look at it, examine it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And Miles and just is, listened to that episode of, like a, a few days ago. That is a called Discovery, correct? <laughs> yep, exactly. Yeah, dis- uh, Discovery. Look at me. I yeah. speak legalese. <laughs> yeah, you get your get your stuff in. Um, <clears throat> and then just like what you said earlier, where it's like. Edgeworth is basically testifying for the witness. He is. He like kind of talks over him, and he jumps in. And there's a part where uh, <laughs> let's call him Howard Stern, where Red White is like getting stuck in an answer, and then Edgeworth answers for him and says, "Well, didn't you forget where you got the statue?" Yeah. And then he's like, "Oh yeah, I forgot. That's what I meant." And it's, it's stuff like that where it's just <laughs> to- to- you would never. It's just totally unacceptable. You don't get to answer for your your witnesses. You can't testify. Uh, an attorney can't testify. They can 
present the legal yeah. arguments and they can ask the questions, but attorneys don't testify. Um, yeah. As we see later, it doesn't really matter what role Edgeworth is playing in the court. He will always jump in and say something. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Because as a defendant, he even objects. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm getting ahead of myself, but <laughs> yeah, that's all right. That's all right. Um, there is um, and... there is something that's kind of glossed, or uh, I wouldn't even say glossed over. There, there's something that's just completely not really translated well into this movie and that's that in the game itself the judge and it's magically the same judge every single damn time for phoenix um it he is a little bit of a i don't want to say doddering old man but he's kind of a spineless judge and he that's i think that's why things work for edgeworth so well because he's just oh okay oh well you say this okay oh no surely you're telling the truth no problem and then he mm-hmm. tends to doubt the defense a little bit more and this the judge kind of comes across as a little bit more of um a little bit more together and not quite as a uh, space cadet as the judge in the uh, in the games themselves so i i think maybe that's something that lost a little in translation too <laughs> i was really impressed with the judge yeah yeah which it sounds like I wouldn't be impressed with a judge in in the games, kind of intentionally, but I was really impressed. Uh, um, Akira Imoto plays the judge, whose name in the credits is the judge. He, he's never actually <laughs> named. Um, but no, I thought I thought he was actually pretty cool. What did you think of the judge, Diane? I I like that he's this kind of soft-spoken, measured. I mean, like I can see shades of not now hearing you say that, Jason. I can see shades of the. Um, sort of like whatever the prosecution presents he's willing to buy but it there were a lot more points of him being like well you said this and we can't what you your that evidence does not prove it so i'm going to have to find this way and it seems like he's much more i don't know has a, a more of a fair fairness to him and more of a, like a little bit of a presence in in the movie so yeah he has a bitchin' beard, too. Um, yeah. And oh, yeah. I, I think that uh, um, I, I, at one point he actually says uh, an incorrect verdict must be avoided at all costs or something right. like that. Right, right. Yeah, it's, yeah. <clears throat> I, um, so before we move on, and not to put too fine a point on it, but the way this trial is run is so foreign and different to anything that I would be familiar <laughs> with that I just, like, I couldn't even grade this because it is, it is almost <laughs> like... Not a trial. I mean, and I, I don't know how much of that is actually how it's done in the Japanese system and how much of it is just an adaptation of a quasi-legal video game. But it I'm is, sure they uh, have the holographic uh, evidence things. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. It's just, it was it was so much where I, I started to take notes and I was just like, well, I just, there's, I'm not sure. I don't know. This doesn't, <laughs> I don't know. It does not compute. Does not, does not compute. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> nice. Um, Got into the yeah, short you can get subtitles mode. for what they're saying. You can't really get cultural subtitles for what, right. the, what the hell's yeah. going on, um, man. And I, I did try to to read up on, on a bit of it too. It's just I still don't feel like I have a good grasp on how the actual trials are run. Well, try running that through the filter that these games are sort of presented in America as taking place in sort of. Uh, America slash or you know like a, uh-huh, a Western right. country basically. Right. So you know because uh, the, yeah. again something doesn't come up in the game or in the movie at all. But Maya is obsessed with hamburgers, <laughs> much like Box in uh, Pokemon's uh, love of uh, donuts, which are uh, you know the, the little rice things, <laughs> the rice balls. So oh yeah, oh <laughs> uh, yeah okay. Um, I guess last point of courtroom decorum. Uh, 
uh, you didn't actually mention this diet, but uh, at one at a few different points actually, Phoenix just like the judge is starting to say, okay, well if you don't have anything else, and Phoenix just turns around and yells, wait at the judge. Right, right, yeah. I, I know you don't yell at the judge. <laughs> right, yeah, <laughs> Whoever right. you might yell at, you do not yell at the judge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, and <laughs> and the, at times it is it is comes across as like desperation, like like more of like a plea, mm-hmm. and that other times yeah. it comes across as like. A command like yelling at the judge and you're absolutely <laughs> right i forgot that he did that of, of quite a few times but the i mean i think by that point i became so desensitized to the yelling of them just screaming out objection <laughs> and whatever that um i didn't i don't i don't think i specifically even wrote it down but yeah absolutely right not not correct legally and what comes through in in so much of this trial also is just Edgeworth's just absolute disdain for Phoenix Wright. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just just totally looks down his nose the whole time. Has doesn't have the time of day for him at all. Just totally ab- above anything that Phoenix could ever hope to accomplish. And that makes the next part that we see that much more poignant because after Maya is acquitted, um, she uh, actually it, it, joins. Can oh, I go jump ahead. in real fast? I don't yes. know if it's necessarily Phoenix Wright himself or just the fact that he's an attorney that he looks down at him because of what we find out later, uh, why he doesn't like attorneys and why he's a prosecutor. So maybe that's why he kind of looks okay. down yeah. at him. Okay. So, yeah. So maybe it's um, maybe it's it's not Phoenix himself, but just the fact that he's a, defending, a, a defense attorney. Um, <laughs> Look, man, it's your job. It ain't nothing personal. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> Um, well, after uh, after Maya's acquitted, uh, she sort of she asks Phoenix if she can can help him, and because uh, Phoenix wants to pick up the case that Mia was working on, which I think this is the first time we're mentioning it, but it's referred to as the DL six case. Mm-hmm. Um, this is something that happened 15 years prior, and it's a lot of it is left kind of vague. Um, at, at for the first half of the movie and it, it's even just it's trickled like what happens with this case we get little trickles of it as the movie goes on and it, the, everything doesn't become clear until later this is like I mentioned this is like a murder mystery within a murder mystery well this is the outer layer of the murder mystery I guess no I guess you'd call it the inner layer I'm getting really confused with myself but <laughs> I'm gonna stop there too many analogies so, man <laughs> yeah too many um Phoenix wants to pick up where Mia left off on the DL6 case, and Maya wants to help him. And before they can even... Uh, at this point, you also find out that Phoenix, not just Phoenix, but Phoenix and Larry have a history with Miles. They went to school together, and the whole reason that Phoenix decided to become a lawyer is that he was accused of stealing somebody's lunch money and Larry and Miles came to his defense. And so then he wanted to do that for other people. Um, does that come up in the game, Jason? Yes. Yeah. That is that okay. is sort of a background thing that gets um, explained away a little bit further down the road in between cases and stuff. Huh, okay. Gotcha. Um, but so you get that, that little bit of backstory and then, Phoenix falls asleep at his desk looking up stuff about the DL6 case, which at this point, I think all that we know or what we find out at this point is that 
a an attorney was killed, and the killer was um, was determined to be uh, Yanni Yogi, whose name we've heard before, and the victim who was killed, the attorney, is uh, Miles Edgeworth's father, Gregory Edgeworth, and the morning after Phoenix finds this out, um, Maya comes in. And she's like, Mr. Wright, Mr. Wright, Mr. Wright, turn on your TV. And they turn on the TV and they see Miles Edgeworth being arrested uh, and being accused of killing fellow attorney Robert Hammond. And so before I continue, you guys have anything to say at this point? No, not really. I think I don't think there was anything legally that popped up. Yeah. And as far as the recap, yep, I think, think that's all right. Yeah, okay. I think he about nailed it. Yeah, it's, it's pretty pretty succinct. And so basically, um, after quite a bit of back and forth and reluctance on uh, Edgeworth's part, uh, Phoenix gets him to accept Phoenix as his defense attorney. Um, a lot of it's because, as Dick Gumshoe tells Phoenix, um, nobody else will defend Edgeworth because all the other lawyers hate him. <laughs> and... Hmm. Um, Dick Gumshoe really wants Edgeworth to be acquitted because Edgeworth, uh, uh, Dick Gumshoe feels Edgeworth is on the side of the police. He's like on the side of of justice and wanting to, um, he presents it well. Uh, he, he presents a pretty good argument for why he wants Edgeworth to be, you know, found innocent. He also doesn't believe he did it. Uh, it's not just that he wants him to be found innocent just because, but he doesn't believe he mm-hmm. did it. And um, we find out that the prosecuting attorney is going to be Manfred von Karma, um, Edgeworth's old mentor. And he's been played up as, the, you know, this behemoth of the legal scene, of course. Like, like you said, the dyad, he's uh, uh, 40 years, no losses. Um, he's, a, he's an impressive figure in the movie up to this point. And I, I think at this point it's safe to, to mention I had not seen the characters except for Phoenix and Miles and Maya. I had not seen any of these other characters, like the art of, of them in the game. If I had seen the artwork of Manfred von Karma, <laughs> I might have been a little more suspicious of him up to this point in the movie. He looks like a villain. <laughs> he just looks like <laughs> like like a, a guy you're you're gonna learn you're gonna you're going to eventually hate, if not, you know, on site. Um, he does not look that way in the first half of this movie. He looks like an impressive sort of, you know, right. like wise old, old lawyer. Um, and <clears throat> so he's going to be the prosecuting attorney. We did see, I think at, at this point, at, at one point when Phoenix is talking to Miles, we see from Miles's perspective what happened on the night of the alleged murder. Um, he does one of you guys want to kind of go and talk about what supposedly happened that night? Yeah, I can do it. Um, so he gets an, Miles gets a note to meet um, Hammond, right? Am I, is that the is that the other attorney's name? Hammond. Uh, yeah, yes. Hammond. his name is Robert yeah, Hammond. Hammond. Okay, yeah, um, to go meet Robert Hammond at the dock at X amount or at X time. He goes there. There we we see them on a boat together. And he, um, Hammond pulls out a gun, shoots it once at Edgeworth, says Merry Christmas, shoots it again, but obviously trying to miss him and then jumps overboard. And then Edgeworth in 
a, a truly, truly Phoenix Wright move, goes and grabs the gun and, and is like holding it and put, put his fingerprints all over, like, okay, with, with, <laughs> dumb dumb, what are you doing? <laughs> so, and that that's something that's played out in um, the game as well, and that's something that they do in between each case. Um, they show like a little like thing to give you like a hint of what's going on, but not enough of a hint that like, okay, well, here's what actually happened. It's just sort of like a, here's sort of what happened and then you're going to fill in the rest of the way as you or fill in the blanks of the rest of the way as you go yeah i think that's thank you that um that sums it up pretty well this that just made me think i didn't ask you about this dyad but it comes up a little bit later what did you think of um i guess how realistic it was the way that phoenix approached uh poking holes in um red white's uh testimony yeah, I guess they probably should have talked about that. It um, it seemed like probably maybe one of the more reasonable points because you're you're sort of challenging their statement factually, and he's tying it to evidence. So that is a pretty, uh, I would think, a pretty powerful way of rebutting somebody's statement. Because if it, like, for example, in the movie. Um, Red White says he had seen a lamp in the office and then based on the layout of the room there was a wall that was blocking his way and so he says well how could you see the lamp because this wall was in the way and so he's just kind of chipping away at his credibility until his story is not believable and um, yeah that's actually probably one of the more uh, translatable to real life American legal system in the movie is the way that he um, cross examines witnesses to chip away at their credibility. And the, the same thing happens in the upcoming case. Uh, there is there's a testimony from a witness, and then there is subsequent information that undermines what the witness said, usually based on a specific detail or on a specific time frame. And uh, in the first case, it's because the, the, the murder happened in Phoenix's office. And so he knows the layout. Um, he knows about the lamp. At first, he's even like, do we even have a lamp like that? <laughs> and then he finds that there was a receipt with Maya's name uh, or with Mia's name. No, I'm getting them mixed up again. There was a receipt found at the scene of the murder with Mia's name I did it again Maya's name written in Mia's blood it was determined to be Mia's blood and so Edgeworth was trying to use this as proof that after she had been bludgeoned Mia was alive long enough to write the name of her killer on this piece of paper that was close by well um it, it, it comes out in the trial that Red White had been in the office a week prior um, illegally tapping their phones because he was following Mia, like trying to get information about Mia. Um, coming back to that in just a second. Well, the lamp had not been there a week prior, and Phoenix proves that by presenting the receipt as evidence that shows that the lamp had only been bought the day before. Mm-hmm. And so it's little details like that that come up in both these cases. And I'm not going to get in the weeds with all the rest of them. But I'll just say, you know, kind of like the, the lamp receipt. Uh, there's a specific detail that shows what's going on. Um, as I mentioned before, um, Maya and Mia's mother, Misty Faye, we, we find out or we kind of put together at this point, 
is the one who showed, supposedly through her mystical powers, that Yanni Yogi was the one who Gregory Edgeworth's spirit accused of killing him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, wow, that's that sounds really weird when you when you just say it like that. Um, well, <laughs> sounds really dumb when you um, say it out loud, doesn't it? <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so because of that. Misty Fay and the whole Fay family gained quite a bit of notoriety, and that's supposedly why Red White was following Mia around, is because her family is kind of kind of famous for that. So, um, anyway, all that we come back to the trial where Miles is being accused of murdering another lawyer, um, and Phoenix is his attorney. He's facing off against Von Karma, who is the prosecutor, Edgeworth's old mentor, and. The first witness that they call is actually somebody who um, who Phoenix and Maya just sort of stumbled across. And we meet another character at this point. Uh, Jason, do you want to tell us how, in the game, how are we introduced to, uh, I guess her name is Lotta Hart? Is that who I'm thinking of? <laughs> that sounds right. Yeah. I mean, I hate to say it, there's so many um, bad <laughs> puns, good pun names in, in the series that you can be forgiven if you start mixing them up. But okay. it, basically in those investigation sequences in between um, trial and or in between trial days, I think that is when you meet her or when you first take Miles's uh, case on, basically, is you go to do the investigation portion of it where it's sort of like a it's not really a point and click adventure game in that sense it's you're literally mm-hmm. like just poking at um still images and like okay hey here's something there may be something here so it's sort of like pixel hunting for stuff and you come across her in one of the scenes that you go through gotcha okay so lada is um living in a van down by the river or sorry by by the <laughs> lake where uh <laughs> where um miles and the other lawyer were in the boat and in this same lake, which I think is called Gord Lake. Yeah, yes. it's called Gord Lake. Um, and in the same lake, <laughs> there is um, suspected to be a Loch Ness Monster style critter living in the lake because of a picture that was captured. Uh, this couple was standing in front of the lake trying to get like a romantic picture taken. And when the picture was snapped, you see like this shadowy figure of what looks like a dinosaur behind them poking its head up out of the lake. Well, I believe uh, that Lada, who is played by uh, Mitsuki Tanimura in the movie, um, it ha- she has these cameras set up. That's what originally draws Phoenix over because he sees these cameras pointed at the lake and he's thinking, oh, hey, I wonder if they saw anything. And you realize that um, or Lada says that they're set up to automatically go off when they hear a loud noise, like, for example, the roar of, of a monster coming up out of the lake. And Phoenix is like, ah, a loud noise, such as a gunshot. And <laughs> she's like, maybe. And so she starts to show them the pictures. And then she's like, wait, who are you guys? And they tell her. And she says, oh, wait, you're, you're lawyers and you're with the criminal. I should take these to the police. And so that's, that's what she does. And then she becomes the first, the first witness. And not only that, but she's like disdainful of them she's like oh you work for the bad guy basically i'm not helping you i'm not sharing with you Mm -hmm. gotcha so she's called as the first witness and she 
she says at first that they're just the pictures that are presented as evidence and they've got timestamps on them and everything. And then she says, oh, well, it's not just the pictures. I actually saw this happen. I saw Mr. Edgeworth. And this is the first sort of hole that Phoenix pokes in her argument. He zooms in on the picture and says, look at this picture. You can't tell anything about either of these men. You just see two men in the boat. How did you know it was Mr. Edgeworth? And eventually she confesses, well, I was lying. I just wanted to be a star witness, you know. And um, so uh, the first day of the three-day trial, you, you get the, the sense that Phoenix has won this first round against Von Karma because the first witness gets tossed out. Yeah. So. If I can yeah, ask a ahead. question here, um, the diet. Um, so in, I guess, real life, if something like that happens where a witness is, um, you know, committing perjury like that, uh, <laughs> is there testimony just effectively like just thrown to the wind and be like, OK, just disavow this. This was clearly all bullshit. Uh, well, no, not like in a technical sense, like you wouldn't have their testimony stricken. It would basically <clears throat> be uh, you, you. It goes to their credibility is a determination for, I said the, the term fact finder earlier, and that's usually the jury. They, the jury's job is to basically determine, you know, determine the facts of the case. And so if some witness comes up and is like, oh yeah, oh well, maybe I lied about that. Oh, I lied about that. They're just sort of <clears throat> undermining their testimony in the eyes of the jury. And if they, I don't know if, if there was something very egregious where they just said, Okay, I lied. I made all that up. I don't think that you would need an official step to remove it because I think the jury would just be willing to disregard everything they said anyway. <laughs> I would hope they would be honest enough to just be like, okay, clearly this person's full of it. I'm right, just going to just right, ignore what exactly. they said. And, and I mean, like, if you can envision a, a scenario where the jury still went ahead and convicted this person, I would have to expect that on appeal the they whoever was handling the case would like just look at the record and say look at this person admitted they were lying and yet this was what convicted them or whatever i think they probably have a pretty good grounds for getting their appeal granted so uh not i guess short version is no not really like an official way but yeah that's like kind of what the jury does is to decide who's who's lying and who's not gotcha okay i missed a fairly important detail earlier in the trial uh in maya's trial there is one point near the end when phoenix is about to give up hope that you look over and instead of maya standing there you actually see mia her spirit standing in maya's place and uh, maya has apparently channeled her sister who is now speaking to phoenix and only phoenix can see and hear her (laughs) um which which is is pretty funny when it happens in the movie uh but only phoenix can see and hear her and she doesn't like outright give him the answer but he's like the answer is in your hand and that's when he looks down and sees the receipt and um i'm guessing this is also kind of ripped from the game jason how well is this translated over that's a very very common thing that happens a lot um you will look over and you will see maya um a but you know kind of a cute little like however old she is uh tr- 
has transformed into her sister wearing that same outfit. And I don't know if you guys have looked up the art for uh, Mia, but she's rather um, buxom, I believe might be the ah. nice way of saying it. <laughs> okay. And she's like popping out of her sister's outfit. And it's like, okay, well, jeez. So it's like, <laughs> okay. all right, well, this, wow, is, okay. this is really awkward. So... <laughs> <laughs> That's one thing I, I, I completely off think. I do kind of appreciate that they did not, uh, um, let's say, uh, sexualize her in the uh, same manner that the games did. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so, and I don't think that this is actually going to bring the bear much on your territory of diet because uh, it doesn't really, like, she's not, as far as the rest of the court knows, she's not there and she doesn't present any evidence. It's not like Maya is channeling Mia and saying, oh, my sister is here, and she says that Red White actually killed her, so it doesn't really bring the bear on the trial, it's just, it's mostly for Phoenix, and it, like, gives him that little extra boost that he needs, and so it doesn't really affect, directly affect, like, the legal outcome. It's more like Maya doing more of what she did in the Larry Butts trial, kind of coming to the rescue. Yeah, I don't think, um, ghost testimony is inadmissible in a court of law. (laughs) (laughs) All right, good deal. So then we go on to day two of the big trial um, uh, where Miles is on trial. And uh, the second witness that I keep dropping these names that Von Karma brings in is the operator of the boathouse who does not remember his name because he only remembers the last few years of his life. Uh, So let me let me interject something here if I could. I I just wanted to say, as you mentioned, the witness has severe memory loss and doesn't remember anything up to the last three days or something is what he claims. And actually, the movie did a fair job of this because Phoenix Wright objects and is like, what? You can't. He doesn't remember anything. And then and and then um, Von Karma is like, well, he remembers the last three days and that's all that's important, which I mean, that's like kind of a cute comeback. But if you had a witness who had the kind of severe memory loss that they don't remember anything except for the last few days, there would definitely be, I have to think, some kind of competency hearing to determine their fitness to testify before allowing them to go on the stand. You wouldn't just simply say, well, whether or not they remember the rest, all we need to ask them about is these last three days. You wouldn't just accept that. You would need to like actually determine that they were, you know allowed to testify and then also just since we're talking about it i think it is around this time that miles edgeworth as the defendant himself objected which as we already mentioned yes is not something yeah. that a defendant can do <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, that's the first time he, he he says i never said any such thing <laughs> right and, uh, right the boatmaster says uh, that he said i'm I sure never there's, thought I I'm sure there's outbursts from defendants like that, sure yeah I, I would certainly i would certainly like oh i didn't say that what are you talking about <laughs> Yeah, sorry, but, sorry, but, sorry, I'll shut up. <laughs> but but they're probably not preceded with objection. <laughs> no, exactly, exactly. Yeah, plenty of outbursts, no objections. <laughs> um, but I, uh, so how does, um, I'm, I'm drawing a blank again here. How does this play out after the boatmaster comes up and says all this? Do you guys remember what does Phoenix do to, um, to kind of get, get through this portion? Oh gosh. 
boy. I'm trying to, trying to remember. <laughs> I'm so, trying to blank myself. Jeez. I just um, watched this movie off. like two or three days ago too, and I'm trying. I can't remember exactly <laughs> what trick he pulled I sort of on this one. Had it on in the background this afternoon again with my kids because they wanted to watch it, and my daughter was literally reading it, the subtitles out loud to my son. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> That's cute. That's really cute. Well, you know what? Honestly, I don't really think it matters too much what happened in this particular scene. Somehow, Phoenix was able to um, to get through the second day of the trial. And there is going to be a day three. And like I said at the beginning, you really should watch this movie. It's fun. So you can kind of pick up on what's going on. But at some point, Phoenix says, I need to talk to... Uh, I, I want another chance to cross-examine the boatmaster, and he presents enough of a case that he is able to do that. And the judge, you know, sends out uh, the, the judge orders uh, that the boatmaster be found so that Phoenix can cross-examine him. And so he is found, and it is determined. Um, a big reveal that the, oh, the hold mysterious. Oh, hold on! You're missing. Go ahead. You're, you're missing the stall tactic of Larry Butts. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> While they were looking for him, because <laughs> yes, every, every cop in the country apparently to find him couldn't find him, and then Larry Butts comes in and saves the day for a little while. There. That that is what right, it is. Yeah, that is thank you. Witness. Thank you. Thank you. Larry Butts, who I don't think I've mentioned yet, uh, played in the movie by Akiyoshi Nakao. Um, Larry Butts comes in and I forget how he gets the attention, but somehow um, he gets the attention of Maya, no, of Miles, who says he's a witness for the defense. <laughs> As the defendant, he declares that Larry is a witness for the defense. <laughs> um, and somehow also Larry is called to the stand. Also can't do that if it needs to be said. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and Miles questions him and he says... Uh, at first, you think he's totally blowing it because he's like, I was there that night. Come to find out, his giant inflatable statue of the steel statue, uh, balloon of the steel samurai, um, had been overinflated and blew away with the metal inflation tank still attached and crashed into the lake, which incidentally was the picture of Gordy, the monster in the in, um, Gord Lake, <laughs> and yeah, a um, mid-explosion balloon, and he was actually on the water the same night as Miles and Robert Hammond, uh, with a metal detector looking for this balloon, trying to find it, you, you know, using the metal, um, uh, the inflator thingamajiggy, and the canister. <laughs> as he was walking away, um, after he got the boat back to the boathouse, as he was walking away, he heard a gunshot. And Miles is like, wait, you only heard one gunshot? Uh, everybody else said there were two. How come you only heard one? Uh, no, Miles uh, didn't say that. Phoenix did. Anyway, Phoenix, the actual lawyer in this case, says, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, how did you only hear one? And Larry says, well, you know, I, I might have put it in my headphones. I, you know, I listen to music. I listen to radio. And at first, My uh, uh, Phoenix is just like, oh, what are you doing, Larry? And he says, yeah, because I distinctly remember the uh, the DJ said, um, well, it's 30 minutes left till Christmas. And this is where Phoenix kind of zooms in like, wait a minute. Are you absolutely sure of what you just said? And Larry's like, yeah, he said 30 minutes left until Christmas. And because the murder happened on Christmas Eve. Anyway, the the photos that were taken by Lada's camera 
have a timestamp of 12.15. And so if Larry heard this gunshot at 11.30, there must have been another gunshot. Something else happened. There was another player in this game. And that is when he says, I want to cross-examine the boatmaster again because I think I think there's something funny going on here. And so that's when, like, yeah, the whole police force goes out and can't find him. And then finally, um, uh, well, now my timing is off because you're right. Larry does stall again somehow. No, Larry doesn't stall at this point. Um, they're the next day on day three. They're waiting for him to get here. And uh, Von Karma even asks the judge at the end of day two, we'll judge what happens if we can't find him. And the judge is like, well, if he can't be found, the trial will just have to continue anyway. And, you know, with the implication that that's kind of your last chance, Phoenix, if he doesn't come back, then you're kind of SOL. And so Phoenix is the one <laughs> using delay tactics and right, trying to right. get, yeah, trying to get witnesses to, to repeat things or yeah, repeat testimony. And she starts talking really, <laughs> really slow. <laughs> I was going to say that is my favorite little bit of this whole movie is like, but <laughs> and, and right as the judge is about to give his verdict, um, the, uh, Dick Gumshoe bursts in, and there he is with the boatmaster. They found him, and he comes down, and it is determined that he is actually none other than Yanni Yogi, uh, the man who we find out was a court bailiff who was um, the alleged murderer of Miles's father, Gregory Edgeworth. This is also where we meet dun, Polly. Dun, dun. <laughs> Polly the Parrots. Um, and I don't have a credit for Polly uh, in the credits, so uh, sorry about that. But um, <laughs> uh, we also found out, I think, in between day two and day three, Phoenix was doing some research and found out that Yanni Yogi's wife's name was Polly. And that, the parrot being named Polly, and um, uh, it, Phoenix uses that and a couple of other things to kind of piece together that that this is Yanni Yogi, and he gets him to um, to. At first, Von Karma plays his card again. It's like, but there's no evidence that this man is actually Yanni Yogi. And Phoenix says, "Well, what about what about fingerprints?" And the the witness is like, "Well, I'm sorry, that's not possible. I don't have fingerprints." And Von Karma kind of interjects and says uh, they were burned off at the, the chemical plant where he used to work. And mm-hmm. <laughs> this is when you really, really start to get the impression, hmm, okay, maybe this is where Phoenix learned some of his sort of underhanded tactics. Because <laughs> this guy's starting to get real suspicious. <laughs> so, uh, but in the end, it, it all does come out that, uh, that, Yanni Yogi is is this guy. I don't think it's super important to, to get into the details on this unless either of you have something specific to add here. Uh, d- um, let's see. No, not until a little bit later. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His his sort of importance comes up in a little a little bit further down the road. Okay, and it comes out that at. I'm trying to figure out, trying to remember now how the time difference came into play. Because uh, there was a gunshot, a single gunshot, 
and I don't remember where the single. Are you just trying to piece together like how the sequence of events happened? Yeah, I can't remember where the single okay. gunshot came in, but essentially what happened was um, Hammond shot at Miles, and then while Miles was turned away, covering his face, you know, as just a reflex because you know he's scared for his life, um, hmm. Hammond was about to shoot him again, but at that point from the shore. Yanni Yogi shot Hammond, who then dropped the gun, fell overboard, and that's when Miles picked it up, so confused, and so that's what happened. So Yanni Yogi is the one who shot Robert Hammond, um, and so Miles is actually found. here. Um, let me I, I, go ahead. Not, not trying to like correct here, but um, no, yeah, please okay, do so if I I'm think, wrong. <laughs> okay, so I think what actually happened was Yanni Yogi met Hammond on the shore, killed him at 11.30. That was the gunshot he heard. That was the okay, gunshot yes. that uh, Larry right. Butts heard. And then he posed as um, as Hammond, and then that's why he said Merry Christmas and then ducked overboard, basically, to swim away. Okay, yes. Yes, that is what happened. Okay. Gotcha. Thank Take you. that! Thank you. <laughs> Objection! Objection. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right. <clears throat> Didn't even the wasn't even the lawyer on the show who offered the the objection, the game changing <laughs> objection. Um, so yeah, playing the about song right now. <laughs> and then uh, Yanni Yogi is found to have shot Robert Hammond. Why does Miles then do what he does next? I can't remember why. What he does next. Uh, uh, so at this point, Miles confesses to the murder of his father, Gregory Edgeworth, that Yanni Yogi is not the one who killed his father, that in fact it was him, Miles, it was he, Miles, who killed Gregory Edgeworth. And I can't remember now why he does it. Yeah, I don't... Was it because, um, he, uh, was, it because he was suspecting that Von Karma was behind something, and so he sort of admitted to his crime to get to the root of the problem? I don't... I don't think so, not yet. They, um... Were they saying, like, well, then, how could this have happened? Or something like that. Like, well, then, who did it? If if Yanni Yogi didn't... Because isn't that it? Or, like, you find out that Yanni Yogi did not kill... Um, Gregory Edgeworth. Gregory Edgeworth. And, and then it's sort of like, well, then, who did? And then Edgeworth has this deep okay. guilt. So he's like, it was me. I was gotcha. a boy, and then kind of explains it. And actually, since we're talking about this, this is another legal point that I, I had, where um, he confesses in court, and then they dismiss the charges against. Gosh, I can't <laughs> well, remember yeah, exactly say, the, how it works, say, but um, <clears throat> it, it, um, obviously, uh, uh, Miles is is not found guilty of killing Robert Hammond, but. Right. There has but been a we're major confession. These other charges. There's been a major confession, yeah. so we're going to meet back here tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah, you can't. Um, you can't add charges. Uh, certainly not in mm-hmm. the middle of the trial like this. It's um, you have to have like basically like a formal charging document, and they're really particular. You can't be convicted of a crime that you're not charged with. That's a 
constitutional issue. So, well, <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, even earlier in the movie, um, when Miles gets Red White to confess that he did the wiretapping, Miles even says, "But that's not what this case is about." <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. Right. And then he um, he gets whatever let off the hook from. Well, I guess not ultimately, but yeah, but yeah. So um, yeah, it's. It's not, uh, and then actually another thing I wanted to add that's sort of tied to this, from his confession, Phoenix Wright tells him later when when they're moving, uh, or uh, sorry, when they're they're meeting together, I will prove your innocence even if you doubt yourself, and <laughs> that's just sort of like a ridiculous statement to make because if your con- client confesses to a crime, um, you can't like convince them that they didn't commit the crime i, I mean i guess you yeah that seems like, like you it would be it was go ahead i was gonna say that seems like it would be um frowned upon <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it's like, i guess i guess that there could be some scenario where you don't believe you think that they're confessing that's not true and you're i'm gonna prove the innocence to yourself because you couldn't have possibly done it because of whatever evidence i don't think that's a realistic probability i think it's just and maybe this is just like a strange way that it was translated or something but um yeah oh, i no, mean that's, that's, i think that's very much part of uh, <laughs> um phoenix's uh, credo is i believe in you even if you don't believe in you <laughs> yeah okay. and <laughs> i mean like to an extent that is i mean it just it doesn't work it's exactly but like maybe that. It's, um, it's admirable, but maybe um, a flawed way of looking at things. <laughs> right, right. Because I think this is, again, this is something that has definitely come up before on our show that you, if some, like, if you can't put someone on the witness stand, say, to testify to something that you know to be untruthful. So uh, this would, to me, seems like it would be some kind of... I mean, like somewhat similar to that, right? I mean, it's he's sort of saying like you've admitted to this, but I'm gonna, I don't, I don't believe you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have you do it anyway. But um, yeah, so <laughs> none of that was really struck me as particularly proper. Yeah. Okay, um, Jason, how how does all this play out? Because as we were discussing, uh, Miles's trial for killing Hammond. Uh, bleeds right in like i said the next day it's not even the next day they take a recess and then they come back and are apparently going to try miles for killing his dad (laughs) uh and even though that case has already happened and somebody else has already been found guilty of killing his dad now miles says he did it i guess i have questions for both y'all jason first of all how does that play out in the game and how well does it translate to this in the movie I can say very quickly, I do not remember. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, that's all right. It has, it has been quite a while, uh, probably a good, like, five, six years since I played the original Phoenix Wright, and... Um, and you played other ones boy, in, you know, in there's between, just a yeah. lot that goes through your brain and, uh, as, as we near these, uh, th- these ages that we all are. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, and uh, the dyad, if... How does it work if somebody was like, say somebody was accused of of a murder 15 years ago and then somebody else steps forward and says, no, I'm actually the one who killed that guy. How does that work? What happens? 
So this is actually maybe surprise you to hear that this is a fairly common, but not as a uh, well. So this is me being a little bit jaded and cynical, but um, it's BS. <laughs> so a lot of times, what you will happen is I've, another thing that I've mentioned on the show before is something called a uh, motion for post conviction relief, and so the the concept is you have your trial and then you're found guilty. Then you have your appeal and it's affirmed. And the appeal is generally speaking to test the legal issues in the case. And then if that fails, you can still try something called a post-conviction motion. Most typically that's presented as a claim of ineffective assistance of counsel. So you would say, you know, my my counsel, I was denied the constitutional right to effective assistance of counsel because my attorney didn't do X, Y, and Z. There is a form of that that allows for newly discovered evidence to let you argue, I deserve a new trial because this, we just found out something. And uh, Hmm. not too uncommon is, wouldn't you know it, I found this guy in prison. We're cellmates now. And he just happened to let slip that he was actually the one who killed these people. And he's he confessed it to me. So I deserve a new trial. And so you would file your motion and say, this, this guy gave me this affidavit. And he said this, this, and this. And then the sort of basically comes down in a lot of these cases to the credibility of this witness. In fact, I'm working on a similar case right now, and one of the reasons that this this motion for post-conviction relief was denied is that the, the trial judge didn't buy the witness's story because there had been this long period of time between when the crime happened and when these witnesses allegedly saw someone else do it. So... In a very, very long-winded way of answering your question is, if somebody confesses to a crime that has already been committed, there is sort of a process where you can raise this as a claim, but because they tend to be utter horse crap, they are <laughs> not acted upon frequently. Gotcha. Okay. Now, um, I, I was actually just looking things up online real quick. It turns out that uh, Yanni Yogi was actually not guilty by reasons of insanity. That's kind of what happened. So I'm wondering if that's, that's how they can get the charge there on Edgeworth now, basically, with this uh, weird system of uh, legality there. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. Um, there's that uh, There's that insanity plea that uh, you mentioned uh, at one point in one of our episodes, Dyad, that uh, you, you thought... <laughs> When you, before you became right, a lawyer, you yeah. thought, oh, this happens all the time. I because every, everybody comes up everybody in, in all the yeah, media. Yeah. Um, but yeah, okay. Yeah, so so I re- now that you say that, I remember the insanity thing because he, w- w- whatever he was charged with that original murder that the psychic accused him of, and <clears throat> he decided to, even though he wanted to prove his innocence, he was in like a hard spot, and his attorney convinced him that if he if he like actually went to trial and claimed insanity, then he would be more likely to be released, but it would mean sort of like admitting to the crime itself. Cause you say, mm. I did it, but I was insane rather than I didn't do it at all. And then that ended up, right. you know, 
ruining his life in other ways. uh, Wife, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. All right, so so that brings us into the final um, the the bonus round um, where Miles is (laughs) now on trial for murdering his dad um, after a recess after being found not guilty of (laughs) murdering Robert Hammond and. It's funny that as we get later into the movie, I'm having a little more trouble piecing together all the stuff. I think it's because at this point, things start to happen really fast. <laughs> and, like, things are getting revealed yes. mm-hmm. and all this yeah, is coming out. they start throwing a lot of stuff at you. Basically, um, basically I'm going to kind of try to sum it up, and then you guys just jump in. But uh, Phoenix yeah. sort of realizes as the case goes on, after Miles gives his... Um, testimony about what happened which he says uh, I went down to the um, the evidence locker basically and I saw that my dad was trying to tamper with the evidence in the case and while he was down there I saw the bailiff who was Biani Yogi um, basically accost him and they got into a, a, a physical fights and so i ran down tried to save um you know tried to intervene so that he couldn't beat up my dad and then um i saw you know what what my dad was doing i realized it so uh he was knocked away and then the gun fell on the ground and was kicked over and he felt the gun hit his hand so he got up and he was holding the gun and this is when he says he remembers shooting his dad, and then he faints. Well, um, basically, it comes out that what what actually happened is he threw the gun. Okay, no, sorry, I misspoke. He didn't remember shooting his dad. He threw the gun at Yanni Yogi to try to, you know, get him off Gregory. And when the gun hit Yogi, it went off, and the bullet killed um, Gregory and Miles said he as he passed out he heard a scream and he would never forget that scream and that is the that's the testimony that Miles gives am I am I doing okay so far yep you got yeah. it I want to okay. I want to point out that um, go ahead all lawyers are martial arts experts as depicted in this movie because ah, when they when you say they fight they were doing like choreographed uh, <laughs> yeah, it yeah. was pretty. I'm sure all bailiffs are, uh, are 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 taught in the ways of kung fu as well. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's on the bar Gre- exam. Gregory Edgeworth <laughs> here, played by uh, Takahiro Hira, and um, Yanni Yogi, who I haven't mentioned yet, um, mentioned this yet, is played by Fumio Kohinata. And I don't have any details on Wikipedia as what most of these people had been in before. Most of them just say uh, so and so was a Japanese actor. <laughs> so, gotta go to the Japanese Wikipedia yeah. for that kind of stuff. There you go, um, Nipponopedia. Um, but so <laughs> you also find out here that this is why Miles has such disdain for defense lawyers because. Robert Hammond was Yanni Yogi's defense attorney, and he was the one who convinced Yogi to um, uh, say that he was insane. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, Hammond was his defense attorney for the murder of Gregory Edgeworth. At this time, though, Gregory 
was a defense attorney for somebody else, and he was going up against against Von Karma, and he was losing, and that's why he went down and was going to do something with with the gun, the evidence. I believe that that, that part's kind of foggy for me. Um, and then when he was down there. That's what Miles thought he was doing. He thought he was going to go tamper with evidence. And okay. it turns out that wasn't really what he was doing, but go ahead. Okay. That's what Miles thought he was doing. And that's what Miles still thought he had been doing all this time. And that's why he had such disdain for defense attorneys. And he, when he was a kid in one of the flashbacks, he said he wants to be a great attorney like his dad. But as an adult, he wanted more to imitate Von Karma because that was kind of his mm. goal. And as we've seen Von Karma style more and more, you start to see that, oh, Miles was on track to just kind of become another one of these guys. Um, mm-hmm. One of these kind of win-at-all-costs sort of, you know, um, vicious prosecutors. Well, anyway, so Miles tells the story. And before I get into what happens and how, how Phoenix figures it all out... Any interjections there? No, not for me. No. Okay. Nothing for me. Okay. So what happens here is Von Karma starts to kind of try to push things along. Like he's really, you can tell, starting to try to rush things out. He's starting to like mess with his hair a little bit. He's getting a little bit nervous. (laughs) And Phoenix... I don't know if this was actually mentioned at any point, if maybe it was found, it was brought up in one of the scenes where Phoenix is doing research, but Phoenix says that the gun in the evidence locker had two bullets in it Mm -hmm. before Gregory Edgeworth went down, went down there. After the fact, it had no bullets in it, so it must have gone off a second time after what happened when Miles threw it at Yanni Yogi. And he presents like the, the old evidence reports to show that, you know, this, that 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 is in fact true. Two bullets before, no bullets after, where was the other gunshot? It comes to him somehow (laughs) that somebody else must have been down there and wait, there was somebody else involved in this whole situation. There was Robert Hammond, who was Yanni Yogi's, Um, defense attorney over the murder of Gregory Edgeworth. There was Edgeworth himself, but the one person who hasn't been brought up all this time who was also involved was Manfred von Karma. And that he must have been the one, (laughs) Phoenix says, must have been the one who actually shot Gregory Edgeworth. Perfectly normal, perfectly natural. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah, he says that is how Manfred von Karma has been winning all these cases all these years, because he's the one who's been doing the evidence tampering. And Edgeworth was actually going down there to confront him. And that that's that's how it all went down. Am I getting that right? Feel like I'm yep. gonna be, yeah, okay. basically, basically, he was going down there to sort of check the evidence and see what was going on. Check the evidence and see what was going on, not to confront him, but to check and see what was going on because he knew something wasn't that. And up. then, yep, and then Yana Yogi saw him and he just figured tampered with evidence, and then just that's how that whole thing ensued there. Okay, so that's what, how uh, they were fighting. And so Phoenix says, Well, uh, the other bullets must have either been stolen or it must still be with like in the body of 
the other person who got shot. And he points at Manfred von Karma and basically says, if, if the bullet's in you, then we know you were there. And so <laughs> Larry Butts comes back in again, and his metal detector also comes movie. back in. <laughs> what was that? The real hero of this movie. Yes, the real hero, Larry Butts. Um, also won the Japanese Oscar for best hair. Um, <laughs> uh, comes in with his metal detector and um, runs it over Von Karma's body and, sure enough, detects a bullet in his shoulder. And then there's some some light uh, smoke and mirrors with... Uh, not smoke and mirrors because it's actually legitimate, but there's a uh, Phoenix somehow shows it's all a blur now but phoenix somehow shows that the bullets that um <sighs> it was like so the, the bullets bullet, the bullet that was in evidence um is it doesn't match the ballistics of the bullet that is in von karma so it couldn't have been the one that was used right okay and at first he can't do that he can't he can't show it uh, yeah, Von Karma calls him out and says, okay, so there's a bullet in me. I admit I was there, um, but I I didn't shoot anybody. I, I you know, uh, and, and you can't prove otherwise. There's no, where's the evidence? Um, all, you know, all law is based on evidence uh, and all, all that. So um, at first... Phoenix thinks he's about to lose it. It's like he's so close, but he's going to lose it. And so he slams his hands down on his table in frustration. And a couple of books slide over. And one of them knocks off the statue of the thinker, which is for some reason still on his desk. And it falls to the ground, shatters, and inside it, you find the little package that, that Mia found way back at the beginning of the movie with the bullet inside of it. Mm -hmm. And he uses that to show that the bullet that was in evidence, which Von Karma used to prove that Yanni Yogi had shot Gregory Edgeworth was in fact not a match for the bullet that was actually used to kill Edgeworth. Uh, anyway. Yeah. It doesn't match. It doesn't match up. So he, um, he proves that it was all a lie and basically kind of gets Von Karma to, to crack and confess that his whole goal all of this time has been to get these riffraff off the streets. And he goes mm -hmm. on this tirade about how, you know, they all deserve to, to be behind bars, you know, and he was basically that he was in the right for, for doing all that he did. Right. He's cleaning up the streets or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll I'll keep my political stuff uh, out of this one. <laughs> so, yeah, I'll just scoot, scoot right along. <laughs> we can go we can go to town on all that's on uh, on the episode. That's why I didn't I didn't compare Larry Butts's hair to uh, to the the coiffure of a certain um, recent uh, <laughs> recent legal personage who shall not be mentioned mm -hmm. yeah, on on this <laughs> podcast. But yeah, um, yeah, yes. So how how does all of do you remember how any of this plays out with uh, with Von Karma at the end of, of Game One? I do remember Von Karma um, just his little meltdown moment where um, the the, the uh, I believe this track is called "Cornered" is playing, and as he starts has his breakdown and it's just like as Von Karma is having like this breakdown, he's also sort of jumping around and flash. Which, screaming. by the way, that track is excellent. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that, that is one of my favorites. And nearly the whole reason I pre-ordered that box set on vinyl was just that one alone. But, yeah. Um, but 
it sort of does a pretty good job of mirroring it in the in the movie where you know you just have these static images or whatever in the game and it flashes to him breaking down pounding and you know just angry that he's you know been found out and that mm-hmm. i'm trying to do the good thing here even if it's the wrong way of going about it i'm trying to get this scum off the street and in the movie too it's like flashing where it gives like a little stutter or whatever as things move along and it sort of like emulates that pretty well even though it doesn't really um hint at the re- or hint at that sort of thing happening in um in the other cases even though that happens in every single one when every but he has their breakdown moment and has found um that they were actually the guilty party in the long or er, in the end Gotcha. So I think yeah. it does a pretty good job of mirroring that, but I don't remember specifically. Like, I do remember it was the like you know I I'm the I'm the doer of good and you should bow down to me because I'm trying to clean up everything and I, I don't care if I'm doing it the quote unquote wrong way. Kind of harkens back to um, a few good men. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You want me on that wall? You need me on that wall? <laughs> He's got this a lot of the same Jessup vibes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, so, uh, I also, man, how, how good a job did they do of mirroring the like slow unraveling, like visually of, of these characters, uh, with with what happens with Von Kaiser, like his hair getting all wild and everything. And Mm -hmm. yeah, it was his outfit getting ruffled and a little Mm -hmm. bit, uh, yeah, a little bit, uh, yeah, not great looking anymore and not not quite (laughs) so pristine. Yeah. There you go. So, yeah, the judge uh, orders that uh, Von Karma be taken away. Um, Miles is acquitted of a second murder in the same day, which may, must be some kind of record. And <laughs> um, Phoenix gets the, the confetti again, and everything's all uh, all happy, all sunshine and roses. Except for the uh-huh. more people that have to clean up the confetti in the courtroom. Yeah. Well, And right. also, actually, <laughs> except there is a little bit of kind of a somber mood from, from Phoenix. He's not... Like over the moon because it's it's I, I was a little bit impressed with with this because in a movie that was so over the top, I feel like you could see some actual emotion like with with Maya and Miles and Phoenix like it was kind of a pyrrhic victory because Miles has lost his his mentor like everything like that he was all about kind of has come crashing down and he's gonna have to kind of reinvent himself plus he's now mm-hmm. indebted to Phoenix right um, <laughs> Phoenix is like you know he he also lost his mentor and his friend and um it's like now all of all the dust is settled so now it's kind of sinking in they have some time to to mourn these things and it's not like melodramatic it's not played up but i could see it on the faces of the actors and i thought that was a pretty pretty nice touch Mm -hmm. yeah i'll buy that for a dollar yeah there's a cool uh a cool handshake scene um with uh, Phoenix and Miles, and then there's a little goodbye scene with uh, Phoenix and, and Maya as she gets on a train, and it it doesn't really say why she leaves. Um, I know that she says at one point in the movie that she's still training in like her like the mystic arts, and so maybe she's going back mm-hmm. to like get get more training or whatever, finish her training. But uh, then in the credits at the very end, you see that Miles and Phoenix are about to face off again. But when they when they do this time, instead of the the glaring daggers at each other, there's like a friendly smile. So it's like they're not enemies anymore; they're rivals, and mm-hmm. to, yeah. that relationship is redefined. And I gotta say, man, the last few minutes of the movie are some of my favorites with Phoenix. Like the the way that he is with um, 
he's so sheepish when Miles offers his hand for the handshake. And then like mm-hmm. when, when Maya's going away and at the end, the little smile that he gives, the little closed mouth smile is so cute. <laughs> it's like, um, <laughs> it was, it was really, really cool. I, I liked, I, I liked it. So I guess with, with all that, uh, Oh, Dyad wanted to ask you real quick. How did you feel like legal wise about the ending of the film with, um, the with all of a sudden now we have another person who has been accused of murdering Gregory Edgeworth and him being led away and all that. <clears throat> I mean, I I don't know what the actual standard protocol is if you're in the middle of a trial and you discover that uh, someone else committed the crime. I mean, I imagine they would probably <laughs> still need the to... prosecutor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if the I mean, like if a prosecutor a- was. There's not a lot of precedent for that? What? <laughs> <laughs> well, so, on a, a smaller scale, there is. There have been times where prosecutors are, I guess, I guess more commonly, I think you see it sometimes with, like, a, a police officer of some kind ha- has been found of, um, you know, like, planting evidence. And that opens mm-hmm. up this Pandora's box where basically every case that person has ever touched is going to get this flood of post-conviction motions from people saying, mm-hmm. well, that guy planted evidence in that case, and I was he was involved in my case, so he planted evidence on me too, etc., etc. I, I imagine that probably the person would... Gosh, I don't know. I don't. I don't think you would necessarily <laughs> take them immediately into custody, but maybe yeah. you would. Fair enough. Um, uh, okay. Well, uh, unless there's anything else, I, I actually I have one. Time. I have one closing thing, actually. So, okay. because I had so little to offer from the legal perspective, just because of the way this movie absurdity? was. <laughs> yeah. Just, well, it was so the absurdity, yes, but I don't know. I could. I was just never sure where the culture differences began or ended and the, the absurdity began. Like, right. I, I couldn't tell you. So I did. They do have giant I, in Japanese courtrooms. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. But. <laughs> I mean, they're still using fax machines quite a bit for a lot of legal documents over there. So who knows? Yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, got to get those. You got to gotta get big Mitsubishi to, to be churning out those fax <laughs> machines. You got to have some of them to make. The, Would you I consider did, that big tech? <laughs> big tech, yeah, big tech. <laughs> well, Sega's not doing much, so now maybe Sega can start cranking out pachinko games and fax machines. Now you're thinking of Konami. <laughs> oh, yeah, that too. Yeah. Well, they're too busy with their gyms, so. I didn't. I did not know Konami had gyms. Oh, right. So um, <laughs> there was one other little tidbit that I I was reading about because I was just kind of trying to educate myself a little bit on the legal system and I don't know if either of you noticed that Phoenix is wearing a lapel pin it's kind of like a yellow circle so that is called a bengoshi kisho a bengoshi means lawyer in Japanese and kisho I guess is the lapel pin and apparently the pin itself is kind of a big deal that you you have to like you know earn this lapel pin and they are, they are not something that are like purchased by the lawyers. They're actually property of the Japanese Federation of Bar Associations, and they technically belong no. to them. And they kind of like lend them to the lawyers, but I, I think you still kind of pay for them. And in the trial lawyers, it's a sunflower, and in the middle is the, the scales of justice. But they are um, apparently 
uh, you'll notice that they're not the same color on all attorneys because brand new lawyers get a gold plated badge, but the gold is like a really thin layer because it, mm-hmm. you have to pay extra to get a pure gold badge. And so it starts to wear away over time. And so you can tell when a lawyer is like a veteran by the signs of wear on their badge. So if you see like a more silvered badge, lapel pin, you know that they've been around for a while because their their badge has been dinged up. So there, and also there's just like different badges for if you're in parliament or if you're in other government positions. And I also read that uh, a couple of years ago, some high-ranking parliament member was kept out of the building because he had forgot his lapel pin, and that is oh. kind of like almost acts as like an ID badge. And uh, he had to borrow it from like I don't know a security guard or something to get inside of the building. So oh, lapel pins. Wow. It's I thought it, I noticed it in the movie that he always had his lapel pin on, and I was curious about it. And it turns out that that is actually a real deal thing. Okay, and that's cool. something that's actually played um, up as pretty important in the games too, because you know you have your um, your little evidence box or whatever, and the first piece of evidence that you always have is your lapel pin, is your uh, you know attorney badge, basically. Oh, cool. Yeah. And Phoenix will always mention it that it's like, or when you go to like get the description of it, like you know, I, I nobody would recognize me as an attorney without this, and then he's talking about how like proud he is that he has it and everything. So it does, it does actually play a pretty big deal in the games too. Huh. Well, and on that yeah. note, I mean, I guess you guys both just pointed out something that the movie does does right in your in your areas. Well, let's go ahead and get to our verdicts. Should we let our guest go first? That was exactly what I was thinking. Uh, Jason, why don't you go ahead and go first? How, how does this stack up as, uh, as an adaptation of the game? Now, considering I have seen um, bare minimum uh, uh, 80 different adaptations of <laughs> video games to film, this is actually surprisingly, I would say, accurate keeps the spirit of the games in there where there's a lot of serious, not melodrama, but just like court drama and just a lot of like, you know, like the murder mystery within the murder mystery and still keeping like a weird, like little lighthearted sort of thing where it's like, okay, this is it's like, this is serious. There's a big murder case going on. And then the guy that you're going up against throws his wig at you and on your face and Phoenix <laughs> just looks at that anime <laughs> face and just like, Oh God, why did you do that to me? <laughs> So this really like for me is kind of like one of those things that I really appreciate when they actually do try to stay close to the source material that they give it a little bit of breathing room as far as reality goes. But also, you know, there's so many of these movies that I've seen that have just like gone just so far off kilter. Like I think this I think it was the second Tekken movie we just watched like in the last few months just had nothing to do with Tekken basically at all, which (laughs) is a fighting game if you're unaware Um, and it didn't do it 
like again, you want to take the, the premise and go in a wildly different direction with it, fine. But do something that's interesting and not just, oh, well, we'll shoehorn this fighting tournament in, but it's actually about uh, uh, capitalism destroying the world or something like that. You know, it's like <laughs> that, what, what, that Tekken why? episode was <laughs> one of my favorites, man. <laughs> was it the was it the animated one or the or the more recent one we did? Oh, it was the animated one. A live action. I haven't even heard the okay. more recent one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. God. I, I hate to say at this point, I don't even remember that episode because that was God it had to be like two, like two years ago. Probably. Right yeah. And, you know, yeah. You know, I've, I've done like another like hundred and something podcasts in between there. So it's sort of like one of those things like record it and like, I don't remember what I said anymore. So in, uh, <laughs> in your expert opinion, you would say that this game would uh, would hold up in the movie bar court of public opinion. <laughs> yes, absolutely. All right. Well, did I add, what about you? As far well, as you can, can tell, uh, guilty, not guilty. This I can't wait or, for. <laughs> uh, we might have to have our first time where the case is thrown out. I don't know. <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, I mean, yeah, maybe we should declare a mistrial. It, 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 it was it's not enough evidence. <laughs> if if we if I were to try and extract the legal juices and then transfer them in a shipping container to America and then reconstitute it and serve it into our legal system. Gross. I would say that this does... That's a hell of an analogy. (laughs) Bravo, I would say that this movie is guilty. It is not... not, um, There was not a whole lot that I felt was a, a accurate representation. But again, of the American legal system. And... It just, I think the added layer of being a game adaptation in a movie of the legal system, there's just like, you're getting more and more removed and more and more. It's like there's so many absurd. layers. Yeah. <laughs> right. And I think it was just, it was going to be, uh, it was going to be hard, but I think, I think of some of the movies we've watched that are just like oddball comedies and they still managed to do a little bit better job of having a sincere take on the legal system <laughs> so this this one may be our our least accurate one yet in fact <laughs> well, I'm, i uh, think so, i'm gonna say that okay gotcha so i think um, maybe we could sum that up with it's gleefully guilty because gleefully guilty it's right. it's totally not doing it right but that's also <laughs> totally not the point <laughs> yeah i mean enjoy yeah, yeah. guilty <laughs> And I guess that that brings us to me, and I will say um, there were some things I thought were kind of weird. I I was really confused by Maya appears to be a young adult in this movie, but there are times when she she's very very childish, and yeah. even a couple <laughs> times it's referred to as a child. And that, Jason, I think you mentioned at some point that she actually is a kid in the games. And so that was a little bit weird. Um, I wasn't overly impressed with with the actress who portrayed her. But other than that, for the most part, I I actually I really enjoyed the performances. I thought that uh, they there was some skillful acting going on, which you don't necessarily expect in a video game adaptation. I thought that the cinematography was really fun, and I thought they did a really good job of making this look like a very Japanese like anime style, like video game adaptation. As I've mentioned, um, the plot was just bonkers. I, I jumped in on discord after, (laughs) after I started it, I said, I'm seven minutes in and already this is, this is all kinds of crazy. Um, but at the same time I could follow it. Like I wasn't ever 
lost as to what's going on. Like I could always kind of kind of figure it out, even with the subtitles. The music was all right. Uh, you mentioned at one point uh, in our conversations before we started recording, Jason, that you thought they could have done a little a better job with uh, utilizing music from the game. It looks like there were some orchestrations of the game soundtrack, but not not a lot. Um, uh, yeah, it was yeah. pretty. Uh, it, it was very lightly sprinkled in there as more of like a, hey, you want to hear this little track? Here we go. <laughs> yeah. About it, like a mm-hmm. tenth of the volume that we normally play something at, and then it goes away. It's like it's like there's a fantastic soundtrack for this game series built mm-hmm. in, like utilize it for the love of no okay fine yeah Yeah, um uh, just really quickly as a general rule having watched so many of these things how often does does the movie like bring in music from the game and do it effectively um i would say it's fairly rare most of the time it's it's something that um when we sort of do our rundown with it um john one of my co-hosts will like bring it up as far as like the music goes and because it's just sort of my shtick i guess as the on my site is just the music guy and yeah a lot of the time it's like eh, sometimes they'll do some orchestral stuff mixed in there and then sometimes like orchestral arrangements of of the uh from the games and then sometimes it's just like hey here's um whatever the hell the street fighter uh, the movie soundtrack was mm-hmm. okay cool. <laughs> so i i think as i come back um as i come down to my my rating this movie was not great um i would say though that it was good if an average score would be a three, then I think I'm going to give this one a three and a half because I, um, you know, it was for me, it was slightly above average. Um, now if I'm rating it on a game movie scale, I might even go higher than that. I might go up to a four, <laughs> but, mm-hmm. um, but in general, I'm going to give this a three and a half stars. Um, I, I thought, I thought this was a fun movie and I thought it was effectively and skillfully done enough effectively and skillfully enough done to um to warrant uh, recommending that other people watch <laughs> fair yeah, yeah I, think I think that's you can, exactly i think right. you could recommend this i think you could recommend watching this and you're not gonna be like that was the worst thing i've ever seen <laughs> it, it, you know there's plenty of video game movies that i could totally do that to and just be like yeah you'll probably say this is the worst thing you've ever seen and i'd be like well i've got 20 more down the list that are lower than that so <laughs> let's talk buddy <laughs> but I, I think when uh, we get around to doing this for uh, my podcast we'll probably go up a little bit higher I, now again this is um you know, you, you sort of have to take that with a grain of salt because of the competition it's up against. So not not a great movie, but <laughs> yeah. compared to what it uh, what it's competing against, pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, I I think probably my my biggest accolade I could give this is before um, I watch before we go on to your show, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, I plan on watching a playthrough of the first game. And then I plan on watching this movie again. And I am actually kind of looking forward to watching this movie again. So th- there you go. But yeah, uh, so kind of uh, leading into our, our outro here, we already talked a little bit little bit about what you do. But um, if uh, you would like to hear us talk about this a little bit differently, I've mentioned my, my different take. And of course, the dyad, when we go on to multimedia failure, is not going to be coming at it as a lawyer, but just as kind of another another person talking about the movie. A filthy um, casual. 
<laughs> a filthy casual. There you go. Um, we are going to be joining Jason and his co-hosts on Multimedia Failure to talk about Phoenix Wright at some point when uh, when when they do when they cover the movie. And so, yeah, thought this might be a cool little crossover opportunity, and I'm looking forward to it, man. Yeah. After being on with you guys, like I'm really looking forward to this now because I think you guys will bring a nice, like, kind of fun perspective. Because a lot of the times, we'll, I'll, I try to like get a guest who's sort of, um, you know, pertinent, I suppose. And God knows, working at a grocery store for twenty something years, I don't know a whole lot of attorneys outside of um, the one I'm <laughs> using for my workers' comp claim. But beyond that, I, I don't really have any uh, anybody I could call upon. So when you mentioned this, and I was like, wait a second, wait a second, we got something going on here. This is perfect. So. I think this will uh, be a nice little change of pace of uh, you guys being sort of the the experts, even though uh, you will ultimately have a no say in our ranking because uh, we're the ones who put ourselves through the hell of watching all of these video game movies. So that's our call to make, damn it. (laughs) We've suffered through them all. That's our call. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. All right. All right. Well, um, Jason, uh, what all would you like to, to talk about and where can our listeners find you on the interwebs? Okay. Well, um, the easiest place is uh, just Twitter. Uh, I'm on there more than I am kind of anywhere else. That's just at Jason Ariola. Uh, you can go to my website, which is gamesjunk.net. Oh, yep. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, I will put that in, in the show notes so oh, people can, can find that. Okay. Um. Yeah. Yeah. My last name is not the easiest to spell, so I'll go ahead and um, <laughs> just say that. Um, you can go to gamesjunk.net. Uh, over there, you can get the written content about video games we do, the Multimedia Failure, the video game movie podcast I do, and the uh, um, Games Junk Game Club. A It was monthly. Now we're kind of getting back on track to it now that I've sort of settled into my new house. But a monthly game club where we take a really deep dive on a game, and I uh, I play the part of the uh, science or the scientist of unspecified science of uh, the, the history of that game for that episode. And then there's also Rock Out With Your Card Outs, which is how I actually know you, Bedroth. Uh, that is my video game music yep. podcast, where I uh, attempt to bring the most obscure possible video games like Illumination Laser for the X68000 uh, and their soundtrack to the forefront of people's minds. I have learned about so many different games and tracks from from your show, and, and I, I really dig it. I like it. It's... um. It's a fun time. You and I had kind of a fun idea for me to come on sometime and talk about some obscure tracks that I shared with you at one point. Right. And we'll have to, we'll have to revisit that at yes. some time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, now that I moved and settled yeah. for the most part, we'll have to get back. We'll have to get, I'll have to get you on then. Cool. Cool deal, man. Um, well, and we're already, as as you predicted, uh, the dyad running long. So um, we'll just cut it off with, uh, you can find me on Twitter at VGMPod. And you can find me on Twitter at the dyad. Uh, you can also come to the Very Good Music Discord server. A link will be in the show notes. And we have a whole uh, channel dedicated to the movie bar. Um, and if you haven't listened to the rest of our episodes, uh, go out and check those out. Uh, go out and check out uh, Jason's uh, podcast. Sample a few here and there. Um, I, I don't know a whole lot of people who um, are ready to commence a three brand new podcasts. So you got a movie one, you got a game one, you got a game music one. So whatever floats your boat, go check them out. Um, uh, Jason is a great host and his friends are um, all like they're it's uh, they're super great super funny and super informative so I think you'll really enjoy them uh, Jason once again man thanks so much for coming on the show yes thank you well thanks for having me I I can't tell you how I will like flattered I am that you guys thought about me for this <laughs> for sure man it was a lot of fun um, the Daya, thanks as always for joining me and I guess uh, that's gonna do it for us this time so case closed gavel take that Objection! Bang, bang. All right. (laughs) Had to get one of those in. (laughs) 
Uh, actually, hold on. Hold one, hold one sec, guys. I gotta step away for a second. Go um, ahead. My, my phone is blowing up. Oh, sure. I'll allow it, counselor. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-oh, if your phone's blowing hold up. On. Um, hold on. Um, I call a recess. <laughs> <laughs> Good, because I want to go on the playground. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Do you remember, speaking of phones blowing up, do you remember when the batteries were blowing up on the... Uh, the Samsung. Samsungs? Yeah. Yep. Yep. I say that as I have my Samsung right here in my pocket. Not that particular <laughs> one, but... Uh, oh, is that a Samsung in your pocket? I was going to say, I would hope not. I would hope, I would hope they pay you enough as... A, as a, uh, oh, God. Oh, oh. Objection! <laughs> oh. I was going to say, I, I would hope you make enough as an attorney to, to afford a new phone by now. Because that was years ago at this point. <laughs> well, I, am I was a like, man, I got an old attorney. iPhone I can send you if you, if you really need it. <laughs> Okay. I, I'm, on, so, I'm, the, I'm on the government tee. It was uh, <laughs> it was Shukapow, uh saying, "Hey, I don't get off at eleven. I get off at ten. So can you guys come get me?" And apparently, uh, he was only texting me for some reason. But um, so uh, so we're good. Um, let us continue and okay. see if we can't get to so typical, get to, typical teenager thing. Yep, <laughs> yep. See if we can't get to die out to bed by eleven fifteen. So. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> All right, let's do well, this thing. Yeah. Objection! <laughs> <laughs>